Welcome back to the last episode of our Star Wars May Marathon that we're doing to celebrate May the 4th. And this week we're covering all about the sequel trilogy, uh, along with our final guest from an Airfall podcast, Matt Lunn. Yeah, with Matt we're going to talk all things Force Awakens, Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker with some controversial opinions in between as well. So you can check out an Earful podcast on socials as well. Don't forget to check them out. They are great guys and they have a horror and music-based podcast. Hope you enjoy this episode and let it roll. We're not in Kansas anymore. Better, better, better. Are you telling me you built a time machine? The Force will be with you. Welcome back to Get Real, the podcast where we get real about all of our favourite pop culture movies and TV shows. This week, I'm joined by my regular co-host, Chris. Hello. And our final co-host from an earful podcast, Matt Lunn. Hello, 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 hello. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Hello. That's the most blighty copper you've ever heard in your bloody life. Bloody hell, mate. <laughs> bloody hell, mate. How you doing, mate? mate? You okay? I'm not too Are you holding bad. Up in the lock up? I'm not bad. Not bad. Taking every day as it comes. I've got my beer. Aye. Right. Oh, very nice. Oh, nice. I'll swish. Great I've got, response. I've got the H2O to keep us hydrated. H2O. See, I've got both options. So I've currently got option one, Brewdog. And I've got option two. Nice. If mm-hmm. I decide to go for the H2O on the more healthy routine, then I've got this also. Yeah. Very good. Brewdog is not a sponsor, but Brewdog, if you're listening to this, (laughs) we will be willing. I have got many empty bottles right next to me. Other beers are available, (laughs) just to be specific. But anyway, anyway, Matt, so you've joined us for the last three films of the Skywalker saga. Your other co-hosts, Matt and other Matt, have come on and done the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. So you've got some relatively big boots to fill on this episode. I know. It's literally a trilogy of trilogies. It's a trilogy of Matt's and it's a trilogy of films. So Matt, are you ready? I feel like it's like the Olympic beacon. This is like the end ceremony and I've been given this responsibility to to finish this trilogy. (laughs) Saga. It's the Star Wars relay race. He is I finishing know. what the other Matt started, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> nice, nice. Can you do what your grandfather Anakin could not? I mean, That's the question. I mean, maybe. Possibly. <laughs> maybe. Nice and optimistic. Well, <laughs> we go. We may as well. But just to remind you, Matt, we will be ranking you all in terms of trilogy after this. So have listened so I I listened to the Matty episode the other day and so I heard the uh you're critiquing the mats in order. <laughs> and I was like oh, I feel pressure now. I feel the pressure. I feel a bit nervous. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> you know how this uh episode's gonna go then. We talk about the films for a little bit. We give them a Star Wars or Star Balls, and then at the end we'll uh go for a couple of off the cuff questions with you and uh, see uh, see how you handle your Star Wars metal at the end of this. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> so I mean, to start off, Matt, are you a massive Star Wars fan? Would you say? I'd say that I've definitely been excited every time there's been like a new film out. Like I think I was introduced to Star Wars back when I remember when Phantom Menace came out, but then mm-hmm. I didn't properly get really into it and properly understand it until it was around about like episode three and ITV started like playing all the old episodes 
on there, and they okay. did it like, every week. ITV2 literally still play them every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they're still going. It's like, watch them all again. It's like, you, you couldn't just watch on Disney Plus in full without the adverts, but, you know. I hear Disney Plus is yeah, there. That's... You're trying to get a sponsor, so <laughs> I'll, I'll help you out with it. <laughs> We're still trying. We're trying. Yeah, it might but, be a make or break for that once we review these free films that they actually made. So uh, <laughs> it's going to be an interesting one. To get this started on this trilogy of films, I just kind of want to start off by talking about how this has been the three Star Wars films that we've been able to go and premiere in the cinemas. When we had one, two, and three, we were probably still a little bit too young to really remember our experiences watching them in the cinema. And obviously we weren't around when the original trilogy was coming out. But yeah. Speak for yourself. I mean, <laughs> unless he, Chris, is, Chris has been reborn. I'm 59 years old. <laughs> I remember so the it, day. <laughs> so I remember yeah. a Star War. <laughs> Do you remember the, the, there was an episode of How I Met Your Mother years upon years ago, and there's the quote in it where someone's not seen Star Wars, and Jason Segal's character goes, Everyone's seen Star Wars, and the only people who haven't seen Star Wars are the people who are actually in the Star Wars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretty accurate, accurate yeah, statement. Correct, correct. Uh, yeah. We've got, I think, very far back, really, in relation to the other films that have come out recently. Think back to when The Force Awakens came out in cinema. Back in my day when The Force <laughs> Awakens came out. <laughs> So Matt, I mean, can you like remember back like that excitement that you had when that trailer first came out and what your thoughts were? Were you like, why are they making another one? Or were you excited? Or I yeah, so I, I remember exactly when it got announced that they were going to do a new Star Wars trilogy, and I remember there was two types of people. There was number one, absolute dread, and number two. At least they were you were getting a brand new trilogy that wasn't being owned by like George Lucas, but there was still that sort of excitement to it. But then, yeah, by that point, it wasn't like completely obvious or full knowledge that Marvel had um, done the agreement with Disney, hence where all the Avengers films and stuff like that came from. So everyone's mm-hmm. argument was then they've done such a good good job with Marvel, then why wouldn't they with Star Wars? So then I think from then yeah. everyone started like slightly getting on board with it, and that first trailer came out. And everyone lost the crap <laughs> over it. Just the ambiguous shots. You didn't know much about the plot. And I think that's the best way cinema can probably release a trailer is just not really giving much away. I probably enjoy films more when you don't know everything about mm. it. Definitely. Yeah. So we were back in college when it was announced. And like I said to Sam, because I remember having a copy of Empire Magazine there, and they were talking about Lucasfilm being bought by Disney and stuff. And they were pointing at Kathleen Kennedy. And I remember sat in the canteen with Sam. I was like, mate, they need to get J.J. Abrams to direct this. It just uh-huh. needs to be done. The way that he's treated Star Trek, he would do so well with it. A few less lens flares, but he could probably nail this. We all went uni together, the three of us. But I was in a different class from you guys. Yeah. I remember there was a countdown before the trailer dropped, wasn't there? Yeah. And I was in a lecture... We stopped the lecture, the entire class, and Cormac um, <laughs> put the trailer on, the big projector, and we all just sat there and absolutely fanboyed watching this trailer. And that moment where Kylo Ren ignited his lightsaber for the first time, I've never seen a gr- uh, 
group of people in one such small room freak out so much. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> like that was such a dope moment when he lit that lightsaber and you get the first beam and then you just get the two side beams as well. Watching Star Wars generally for people that were lucky enough to watch it around the original trilogy, they always talk about it like it's such a moment and it's like a thing, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think the fact that we managed to go through that with a trilogy speaks, you know, it, it's lucky. Yeah, I remember, we spoke yeah. about it last week as well when we talked about the Darth Maul lightsaber. Like, imagine oh. being in the cinema and seeing that for the first time, not knowing it was coming. Yes. Yeah, oh, this, man, this was our version of that. That was good. That's that was it. So good. Post-trailer, me and Chris went to the same midnight showing for this. Matt, did you did you go to a midnight showing for this film when it came out? Or did you watch it the day it actually came out? I think I watched it a couple of days after. The only thing I remember specifically about me going watching that film was that I had like a giant <laughs> bucket of popcorn and like literally about 20 minutes in, I put my hand into it and somehow the balance in between my legs went... And this entire, like, bucket of fucking popcorn just made, like, this crashing sound on the floor. It was just, like, dead oh, silence. Man. And I was, like... Slow motion. I was, like, <laughs> just casually pretending <laughs> it didn't <laughs> happen. <laughs> I bet there was Star Wars fans in your showing that were seeing that film for the first time and were yeah. absolutely livid. <laughs> and uh, they, they remember that moment as well. That's the moment they'll talk about some fucking dickhead dropped his popcorn. Funny me in, you could hear a... <laughs> And then that was it. Yeah. yeah, we watched it in IMAX. It was like Ooh. a sold out showing. We like really struggled to get the tickets at first. It was like the Odeon website crashed and all that. And when we went and watched it, we got there well early and there was loads of people dressed up. It was like such an event. Imagine when that opening crawl came on. Like our cinema clapped and applauded when the <laughs> opening crawl came on. I took my girlfriend and she was just like, what is happening? <laughs> I was like, it's that much of a big deal that yeah, everyone's yeah. going to clap when that opening crawl comes on. It's like the British certification thing when it comes up with the certificate at the beginning of the film. Like yeah. That came up and it said Star Wars A Force Awakens and people were like, <gasps> like there was here. an audible <laughs> gasp. And then as soon as it's just like a galaxy far, far away. Bam! Everyone was like, yes! <laughs> like, it was a moment. I remember when it first comes on with the scroll, but my girlfriend didn't really get the concept of what was about to happen. So when he said came up with, obviously, in a galaxy far, far away, and then it was that pause went, and three, two, one. And she was like, what the hell are you doing? Bah! <laughs> like that, and it came on. Excellent. Man, it was so it's good. It's crazy to think that was the first time, unless you'd been to like watch another Star Wars film, like re-show in the cinema, that you've had that opening in the cinema before. Yeah. Like, just ridiculous. I remember like everyone was like so excited and just how quiet everyone was in our cinema. And then when it came mm-hmm. on, it just erupted. It was so wicked. Let's start talking about the film now. We've talked enough about like getting ourselves hyped up and stuff for it. So initial thoughts, because we're going to talk about true thoughts of the film right at the end. (laughs) And I'm just going to go between us. So I'll start. I'm going to say that this is obviously visually the best Star Wars films in this trilogy that we've ever had. Mm -hmm. The, The look these films have 
versus the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, they kind of meet in the middle a little bit where the original trilogy's got all that practical effects and yeah. and then the prequels were a lot of CG and massive worlds and massive set pieces where it gives it a good balance in terms of like it's not too far either way. Plus CG now is a lot more forgivable. I'm not going to talk about characters yet. We'll talk about them as they come on. But we'll go to Matt. What was your first impression of this film when you watched it? I think it was the best you could have got in the scenario that we was in with the amount of pressure that I had against it knowing that the legacy of them films that have been made and the the mass impact those films have made and cultural references and everything. I think the weight of it, I don't think you would have had a better response any other way. I think cinematography mm-hmm. wise, it was definitely there. I think some of the visuals, which I'll probably discuss in a tiny bit, were mind blowing and probably everything that you'd want as a Star Wars fan in terms of the films and just visually what you'd want to see. Mm-hmm. But overall, I thought it was a good start. In the cinema, I remember being going, this, I'm looking forward to what they're going to do next with it. Whether they did yeah, that no. good was uh, another thing, but... <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. It's such a it's such a massive responsibility to bring these films back. Uh, mm. And I think we, we definitely saw that with, you know, mixed feelings on all three of these films, to be fair. Uh, Chris, what was your first impression? Yeah, so I want to follow on with what you said about, like, the visual style of it. Obviously, you were talking more like the like the feel of like practical versus a lot of cg and stuff like that yeah. but also this film changed the way star wars looked like as in there's camera angles in this that you never get in the star wars films and stuff like one to six all kind of have the same sort of visual stylings this has like dynamic cameras you got intense close-ups and everything like this film felt a lot more modern even though, like, the prequels came out early 2000s and people were doing these sort of things with films back then anyway. Lord of the Rings and stuff like that is shot totally different to Star Wars. But this one, like, felt like a proper, like, modern blockbuster, at, but also small little camera tricks that you don't normally see in sci-fi films and stuff like that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Personally, I think The Last Jedi did the best job of this, how it looked and how it felt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah this, this trilogy, the way it started with this first scene... It just sort of set the tone. You've got the dark, menacing introduction that your like original viewers had with Darth Vader originally. You've got Kylo Ren descending on a village in this one. That just sets him up as such a dark, villainous character. You're like, okay, this this trilogy is going for something here. Let's start getting into the film then. We start off and it's basically, like you said, the introduction of the Stormtroopers. You've got Poe Dameron. It's quite cool the way it kind of gets straight into it. One thing I noticed in this is how much humour is actually put into the beginning of this one with Poe. It's not really something that we tend to get in Star Wars movies. What did we think about that? Obviously, we've watched... Me and Chris, anyway, have watched one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven, eight, nine. We've yeah. it's very, very, very different yeah. with with humor and stuff. It caught me off guard in the cinema, to be fair, and I think that's what made that whole when Poe's in front of Kylo and he's like, "So why don't do I start talking? Or do you start talking?" No. <laughs> it caught caught me off guard a bit. So what do we think of that? I think this is Poe's best film out of the three. Reason being, I think in terms of development. And for the humour side of that character, I think it just suited the cockiness of that character. I think mm-hmm. if you tried to chuck that into like 
Finn's dialogue or Ray's dialogue, I don't think it would work. But I think because he had that just so, that arrogance to him, I think that just worked mm-hmm. quite well. And yeah, in comparison to the previous ones, I think they kind of threw a bit more humor into it more than what typically was in the um, one, two, and three episodes. It, there was like slight yeah. hints of it, but like it was the odd sarcastic comment from Obi Wan Kenobi or something like that. It wasn't something exactly just like where it was just humorous dialogue added. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it kind of made that interesting in comparison to the previous episodes. This is something that I've got in my notes here. Like the jokes in this almost don't feel Star Warsy. Like this is when I kind of noticed that Disney sort of touch to it. Yeah, the ones like you said with Poe Dameron work a bit more because he is like that cocky Han Solo type. That's clearly what they were going for. The jokes for me didn't work when, like you said, it was stuff like Finn. Like when later down the line when they got captain phasma held hostage and stuff like that he's like yeah i'm in charge i'm in charge i was like that feels like such like a disney tv show joke type thing yeah it's and very like, much always like yeah. wind your neck in type thing it's very much a thing that you'd expect from marvel as well because you got that cockiness of like say tony stark or something like that i think they took that as a blueprint of what they did with that mm. and said that worked with audiences let's try and fit this aspect into these films because it works well for target audience they managed to get it better in the second two films in the trilogy. Yeah. Because yeah. the jokes seem to land better. They feel a lot more natural. Some of the jokes feel a bit forced in The Force Awakens. The the forced joke awakens. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I quite liked Poe and BB-8. Their relationship at the beginning seemed pretty good. Everyone always says this one is such like a ripoff of like A New Hope. Mm-hmm. And it is. But my argument has always been that people had such an issue with the prequels that like this film had to toe a very careful line between being nostalgic and also bringing together the fans of the prequels and the original trilogy. I think this film and Rise of Skywalker had the two hardest jobs in Star Wars yeah. since A New Hope. Mm. Like You have to start a brand new trilogy and bring in two groups of fans that seem to pretty much hate each other, and you also need to make it something new. You've got mm. the thing as well where you've got to accept the fact that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Because there was so much of a backlash against episode one and two, mainly. I can see that, but if you had that running background pressure fear of this didn't work, it is known for having a problem with all of this storylines that don't work or didn't fit or didn't just didn't click with the target audience that he was trying to go for, for these people who was so held on to these original three films that had such a big impact, why wouldn't you just go for that frame? Because it's going to work. Even if they go, oh, it's a bit of a copy and paste, at least it still hits Mm. home with it. At least they have them nostalgic references that still work, that still fit in place and make them relate with these new films. This film had to do this for then the next two films to succeed. Like like I said, they had to toe the line and bring all the fans together. It had to hit some of those nostalgic beats. Some of them work better than others. We probably could have done without a bigger Death Star. Like, yeah. Yeah. We could have probably done with a different MacGuffin at the end of the film. So it, it, it was such a difficult task, and I think for what they managed to achieve with this, like I think it's a good trilogy. <laughs> I know a lot of people are going to hate on it so much, but like it is a good film. It's not 
perfect. Yeah, I think that the safest way for them to introduce new characters was to follow the New Hope framework because they know mm-hmm. it worked. It was the safest way of doing it. And you want to bring these new characters in as well as, you know, fit the old ones in and do fan service for them. And I think that it was good enough, I think, for this film that we had a lot of interesting things happen that we haven't seen before. So to touch on the scene that we were talking about, you had Kylo Ren freeze that blaster shot in the air which in the cinema was just like whoa shit that's really cool i originally went down the aspect of noting the time that the shot is because i'd recently watched (laughs) recently i'd recently listened to a scrubs podcast where they'd done the exact same thing where they'd they'd noted the exact time frame of where this shot is so i started with that aspect and then realized I am going to be here forever if I do this. <laughs> so we very... be pausing oh, the film. Yeah. So there's the like three notes I made at the beginning, which have a time frame. So there's one at two minute and twenty seconds of the stormtroopers with the flickering light. Yeah. I think yeah. that is the one defining shot in these new trilogies that makes stormtroopers look scary as shit. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good yeah. shot. It's like the whole nostalgic thing with like Daleks with Doctor Who, where they actually made them look terrifying for once, rather than just being a very large salt and pepper shaker. I think mm. <laughs> I think there was just that aspect where it was like, oh, they actually do look quite menacing. It's not just people in white suits. I think it yeah, just... They, they, made they it were a force better. to be reckoned with in this first scene. How many, like, famous A-list actors, celebrities, and stuff like that they got into this film in the first place? So there's... At 3 minutes 30, there is the guy... <laughs> This is like the, my three. I'm going <laughs> to point out. So then there's a shot at three minutes 30 where it is, if I'm saying this right, Max von Sydow, who was the priest. Max von Sydow, yeah. There we go. He was the priest from The Exorcist. It was like, oh, they're bringing out the A-gun. They're bringing the thing with Simon Pegg later on where you don't know it's Simon Pegg because it's all covered in practical effects and shit like that. And it's yeah. just mental. Yeah. Max von Sydow was actually the uh, the holy knight and the seventh seal as well. He was. He was there. <laughs> drop some film knowledge on us so that we... <laughs> drop it. Sprinkle it. Just a little bit of credit like so that Salt people Bay. know we just do a sprinkle. film podcast. You had Daniel Craig as a stormtrooper. Yeah, you had yeah. a deleted scene with Tom Hardy as a stormtrooper. You had Prince William and Prince Harry. Well, no longer Prince Harry, but um, as stormtroopers as well. Jessica Henwick, who played Colleen Wen in Iron Fist. She played a resistance pilot. She was the one that was in no the trench run and stuff like that. And then we've got Hannah John Kamen as well, who played Ghost from Ant-Man and the Wasp. She is the one that blows up the planet from uh, Starkiller. She's the one that presses the button. No way. There's loads of cameos. Like, I said this more about The Last Jedi. Like, The Last Jedi has all of a sudden got Oscar-winning actors and actresses in all of a sudden. I was like, because that film has something to say. Like, that script managed to get Oscar winners in it for a reason. Mm-hmm. anyway back to the force awakens yeah absolutely on to the new scene you were talking about simon Pegg. let's just jump into like the introduction of ray let's talk soundtrack as well you've got the kylo theme you've got the ray theme coming in music is awesome in this film ray's theme is standout whenever you hear it you know what you're hearing and it just gives you this sense of wonder it's like her din din Din, 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 din. like it's so different for star wars that it just sticks in your memory mm-hmm. yeah 
also when we see like the star destroyers and stuff like all like crashed and stuff from the battle of jakku and that that's all like really cool visual stuff that we've not I seen love before that. i absolutely love what they did with that in these new films where they pretty much just treated it as background nostalgia just watch her walking through and the, but there's the background scene of that she's living in let's call it debris from the last war that she she's just casually just living in it it's just yeah i think that aspect was just so good it was just a nice little touch it didn't need to be there but it was there mm-hmm. and it, it just fitted so nicely in what they were doing with it matt what do you call it do you call it an eighty eighty or an at at Knowing me, I'll probably call it an at at, but, <laughs> but well, I know that's you. wrong. I know that's that's because wrong. he knows it's the incorrect way of saying it. So, <laughs> but I do it just a piss out. Is an at at? Regrettably, you're looking at a new model of an at at. <laughs> you mentioned Simon Pegg's character before. This was one of the characters that I really didn't like in the in the Force Awakens. It very much reminds me. Um, the, the name of him's completely gone out of my head. The one that's looking at, well, I would say looking after it has Anakin in episode one. What? A, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, your Republic credits are no good here. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one. The weird looking the Gonzo. Whole, <laughs> this joke of like quarter portion and blah, 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 blah. One quarter portion. <laughs> and then there's the, the bit that really, and I'm glad that we don't get any more of him, but where he runs out after the Falcon and he's like, that's mine. It's just like, oh, just we don't. Well, we were meant now. to get more of him. Like, there's oh, deleted scenes of him going Thank to Maz's castle and stuff. God, like, I'm <laughs> glad that we didn't. You know, what? I'm glad Simon Pegg made it in, and I like Simon Pegg, but he just got a rubbish character with Uncar plot. It was just more chin than man, wasn't he? I think he was a good foil for it at the beginning. Like, at least it's a character that you're going to recognize instead of just like every time. Like, she was just getting like talk shit by loads of different fucking traders or something at least like we had a face that we could recognize yeah. this guy's gonna be a fucking dick well i think it was just to set a ground level on where gray gray ray was as a character um yeah to, so that you could see that she was literally she thought that she was nothing at the beginning of this just to show the development from her at the start of this film to the end of the third installment I think they just mm-hmm. did that for that reason, and then that was it. I was going to mention this at the end, but I think now's a good time to mention it. So me and Sam brushed on it last time, but we went to Star Wars Celebration, and we saw this with a crowd. And, like, like Matt, we, we were talking to Matty Ashton about yeah, how, yeah. like, people from around the world watch films differently, and, like, they will cheer, and, like, they will do everything. It was... I think the best way to watch that film, every time a key character came on screen, they were cheering every single time and stuff like that. There's a girl dressed as Rey, and there's a guy dressed as Kylo Ren, and I don't think they had ever met each other because they were sat on opposite ends of the fucking screening. But like, as soon as like they start having a lightsaber fight at the end or something like that, like when somebody was igniting a lightsaber, everybody was holding the lightsabers up in the air and lighting them and stuff like that. That was cool to begin with. Then they start having an actual lightsaber fight while Rey and Kylo are having a lightsaber fight and stuff like Amazing. that. So cool. When the Falcon came on screen, people lost their shit. We were saying like people were excited in the midnight screening. People were cheering for the Falcon at Sawa Celebration. 
it was a really weird time where like this film had been out and people probably watched it quite a lot and then having all these crazy reactions from like every time the character comes on for the first time so would you imagine had been though when after rogue one had been released and they had that vader scene at the end could you imagine seeing <sighs> oh, a dedicated man. fan crowd seeing that shit oh my god It'd be so good. It'd have its own. It'd have its own like ch- chant at like a football match. It'd be like, <laughs> "Let's go, Vader! Let's go!" <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about that Falcon versus Tie Fighter fight that we get at the beginning of the film. It's pretty sick. Pretty sick. It is one of my favorite yeah. bits of this film. The issue with the prequels is we said the CGI looks so great. So like in. Revenge of the Sith, the first scene that we get is a big space battle, isn't it? And it looks great, but it, it kind of didn't feel realistic. Like, everything looked too shiny and everything like this. Whereas this trilogy, whenever it's doing stuff with, like, space combat or anything like that, it still feels grounded. Like, everything feels tactile. Things feel more real. The Falcon has weight. That's something that the Jedi Starfighters never had in the prequels. Like, you could feel the physics almost as they were swinging each other around in the sky and stuff like that. It was so cool. Yeah, you know what I mean? So you prefer the whole, like, heavy as though you lightsaber weighs, like, 10 kilograms kind of fighting versus the whole pirouetting of Anakin and Obi-Wan in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, like, because they are space knights, essentially, aren't they? Like, it's meant to be a broadsword. Like, it's... It was weighty, and everyone was untrained. It was just like, it felt so good. Are you saying that there is a better lightsaber fight in this trilogy than the Anakin versus Obi-Wan lightsaber fight? See, that one has heart to it, so <laughs> that one's still up there. See, there's something which is definitely different about both of the, well, the new trilogy and the prequels. Is At that point, the Jedi Order is mm-hmm. very adamant that they have these years upon years of training, of class, of skill, that they're meant to be the peak of all when it comes to the lightsabers, the fighting, knowledge yeah. and everything. They're meant to be at that. When you have Rey and you have Kylo Ren, Ren has some sort of knowledge on it, but Rey has absolutely not. So obviously they're going to see this big, giant, fucking shiny thing and go... I'm just going to absolutely wail on that bastard. I'm I'm not going to have any class about it. I'm just going to I'm just going to keep hitting until something sticks. Yeah, that's it. You've you you know, Ray's just picked up a lightsaber and that's it. She's never used it before. It's... Oh, she didn't even pick it up. She fucking summoned that shit. Yeah. Well, let's <laughs> let's move this on then and let's get to it. So. Yeah, let's get to it. <laughs> so you've got a uh, little more humor bits. The whole uh, Kylo rage scene where that officer comes to yes. him and tells him that the escape yes. Jakku. What girl? Jun 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 in the shit to pieces. <laughs> I really really enjoyed how kylo was trying to be his best darth vader but at the same time was just like so emotionally out of control all the time and you get a lot of that right up until after the last jedi when he gets pushed over the edge Mm -hmm. he's just a loose cannon throughout all of that i love having him so flawed I think they do a good job. I think Kylo is one of our favorite characters throughout the whole trilogy yeah. because of how flawed they let him be. He reacts in, in a way someone who is frustrated and they take the time to, in The Last Jedi especially, to explain why he is that way. People watched The Force Awakens. I think people were expecting him to be a Vader and he, he's just not. 
And I think a lot of people were annoyed at that. And their argument was is that, well, he's, he's just a moany emo kid. But that is, he's young, isn't he? And that's how he'd be. Yeah, he's he's Anakin, not Vader, is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Both Rey and Kylo are almost like shadows of Anakin, but as in a way that Anakin would have been treated differently. It's mm-hmm. like, if, if Anakin had grown up under those circumstances that either of those two have done, he would probably be exactly how they would be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that he had a Jedi Order and a Clone Wars and a, and a Master and stuff where these had just been under two separate. From a story writing point of view, it's it's very interesting how they look at that and the, the kind of the poetry of that and the writing is really cool. The main thing I take from Kylo Ren as a character, and this is more predominantly in The Force Awakens and Last Jedi, is that he very much has a persona that he reacts a certain way he does because he has this constant feeling that he just never gets to the point he wants to get to, that he's constantly losing grip of what he's trying to achieve. Yeah. So this is proof mm-hmm. of when, which we'll get to it with the, the final bit of The Last Jedi, and that he fails to get to where he wants to be after killing Han. It, it's this, this constant feeling that he's never achieving what he wants. He's never like Vader. He's never yeah. to the stand of the Snoke. He's never achieved what he wanted to get. Never, There's never a plan that's gone well, essentially. So mm-hmm. he ends up being this person who's just so frustrated that everything he does, just he just never achieves it. That's what creates him. Yeah, everyone that he looks up to as master in some way has failed him or has compared him to Vader. Yeah. Like the amount of time Snoke and then Palpatine like tells him that he will never be Vader. You should be Vader, but you're not. You're a failure. And like it's just drilled into him. They've broken him down as a person. So as we move on in The Force Awakens, we have a bit more better humour, I'd say, between BB-8, Finn and Rey. The whole little thumbs up lighter scene that just yes. became a, an absolute yeah. meme. It was the best gif. Yes, we can all (laughs) quite literally agree that that is a very, very funny scene. I also like all the, like, lifting BB-8 down when they're trying to hide underneath the Falcon and he's, like, dead heavy. Like, that's the humour that's really good. Like, literally, if you tried to pass a droid down, that's what would happen. And it's It's the visual stuff. Yeah, and it's funny because it's Star Wars and you you almost attach that, like, real aspect to it. And I think that's the humour that makes that works in this film mm-hmm. and then you got the han and chewie reveal take yeah. a second uh we saw this in the trailer what did we think of han in this film as a character i love han solo i love chewbacca chewbacca is like my favorite but i'll get to that in a minute so when... <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good i enjoyed that that was nice <laughs> uh, i think the way it's depicted and the way it rolls is Two ways, and this is completely ignoring Rise of Skywalker because it kind of has some sort of redemption to it, but I think that was just the circumstance it landed in. It was very much the express way of Harrison Ford never having to play Han Solo ever again. <laughs> he took it, he yeah. leapt on it, and I think he's just doing it one by I'll one. I'll do it if you franchise. kill me. <laughs> so next will be Indiana Jones. He'll find a way to get from to kill off Indy, and then that'll be it. He won't be asked again. He won't be pestered. It'll be the first scene he'll get smushed by the boulder. Yeah, and then Shallow Buff will take over, and it's all over. <laughs> um, but I That'd think Chris Pratt, they'll recast as Chris Pratt. Yeah, he just gets up. It's like regeneration. He just comes back up, and it's Chris Pratt. <laughs> It'd be magic. It'd be magic. But I think they did as much as they could, and I think they needed that gravity in the final bit. 
So I think in terms of the way it landed, I think it works. And it brought the sincerity that we saw in Han at the end of um, Return of the Jedi. Like we spoke last week that like he was, he was growing as a person and everything. And like he had that optimism to him. That first were home felt like more than just those two were home. It was like Star Wars as a franchise's home. Is it the Rathdar? Like, the Rathars, yeah. Yeah, Raftar's like a lot of people don't like this scene, but like it is funny, but it it gave sort of like the buffer of the introduction and bonding of the characters together, didn't it? Yeah. And also so... you've got you've got Kanja Club, which is yeah. <laughs> like between our group of friends is one of the best fucking references to come out of this. Such a mean. <laughs> Tell that to it? Kanja Club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But also like they cast the guys from the raid and then they just get killed off instantly. You don't cast the guys from the raid and not have them do <laughs> fucking martial arts. Like they didn't get a single punch or a kickoff, they just died. Yeah, I agree with Han. I agree that this is a much more grounded Han Solo where he's had a kid and he's grown up and stuff and he's still trying to, you know, he's still trying to smuggle and be a smuggler and a scoundrel and stuff. To make this scene better, you get rid of the Raftars, you don't need them. You should have nope. just had a fight between the Death the death Gang, which were the rule of cool because they looked cool. These yeah, red, those red fucking yeah. circle faces. And yeah. I don't know what it is with red characters in Star Wars that have helmets and costumes that look cool and don't get any coolness happen with them until The Last Jedi. But they, it should have literally have just been a battle between those two gangs and Han, and that's it. Imagine, like, the main guy from the raid, he's there, he's not wearing a helmet or anything. Like, we know who this guy is. Like, if you've seen... Like the raid or any sort of martial arts film, like in the, like the last five ten years, like you know who this guy is and you know that he's gonna kick some ass. Like just imagine a scene of him absolutely like wailing on Chewie, doing like some sort of like martial arts type thing, but Chewie's fucking stacked, so he just rips his arms up or something. Oh, like imagine so something like that, so just good. like and then you've got Ray and Finn underneath, like opening and shutting doors on people. Like, yeah, that's it. That would like, have been separating off different groups to fight and stuff. It would have been so much cooler, in my opinion. Yeah, just would have been. It would have fixed it. So this is the point where you get Snoke now. I don't think we had Snoke revealed in the trailer. I don't think. I think he. It was just his voice. Yeah. So this was, was like the first visual we got of Snoke. So let's just take a moment. We all thought he was Darth Plagueis. Matt, what was your Snoke theory? Because everybody had a Snoke theory. <sighs> I thought it was what we've just said. I, I honestly, hand on heart, thought that we were going to be going down the route of that it was uh, Sidious's old master and that he was trying to return like an absolute boss and he was going to fuck shit up. So he goes from being this fearsome thing, he has so many theories and stuff like that, and then... By the second film, he's essentially just a bit more of a powerful version of uh, Jeff Goldblum's character from Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> the Grandmaster. Yeah. I, that is literally, I had a sudden like realisation which went like that, and it was like, oh my god, it is. <laughs> Same was, outfit. Same yeah. outfit. That's a really funny parallel that I've not drew. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally thought of it before and was like, oh my god. <laughs> Sam, you know how you made that post of um, Lando and um, Uncut Gems? Oh, yeah. We need to get a side by side of Snoke and the Grandmaster. <laughs> yep. Same Can energy. Imagine if Snoke was like voiced by Jeff Goldblum. How much <laughs> would it be? Right, make that so... supercut. Make that supercut. <laughs> 
I think the build-up was the most gutting thing about Snoke. I think having so many theories and thoughts and your mind just like blowing with this idea of that it could be this, it could be that, and then it's just not. And I think that was the big theme with Last Jedi. But I diverge, I digress. We'll talk about that in a tiny bit. But <laughs> that was my thoughts on that. Uh, but moving on, we go to Maz's castle. Uh, we get lots of looks at lots of aliens in this. This uh, is their cantina for the franchise, wasn't it? Like, this is this it. Is... This is like, get ILM, get all those practical aliens out. Uh, you then get the next big thing, which is the lightsaber flashback when Rey yeah. goes to the basement and stuff. Oh, I loved this scene. Like It was so cool. Like, And it set the groundwork of where the story was going in the future as well. Like This set up a lot of the themes of The Last Jedi and stuff. And I think this was what most people had most questions about after this film, was like, what happened to the Jedi Temple? What happened to Luke in this moment and everything like this? And you get the awesome reveal of the Knights of Ren, which we had seen in the trailer. And like me and Sam were like, fucking these Knights of Ren are going to be fucking shit hot. And then in two fucking films time, we get one scene with them in. And it was shocking. Like the Knights of Ren are so wasted. Like like that, that sucks. But this whole force vision from the lightsaber thing on the whole was like really cool. Like it captured you. I remember being in the cinema sat next to Sam and I, we were just there like, this is cool because this was the first time like we proper saw what it was like to be inside one of these visions like mm. before this we had only had luke's battle in the cave and then we had had anakin's like dreams didn't we but we didn't really see much we just saw flashes of like blurry images of padme dying mm. uh, do you have any thoughts on that map before we move on i think it was just one heck of a, a nostalgia trip like you had the ewan mcgregor mini cameo i think I think just the weight mm-hmm. of that bit. I think it knew what its weight was. I think it was very much like a... For the audience, it was very much just like a, a gravity weight of knowing where this franchise is. Like it knew where yeah. it sat. And it was like, this is what the past is and this is where we are now. This is your present, of your future of Star Wars, of the next franchise. And I think that was like a pivotal scene of showing what that was. And I think this is what started the rumor mill in terms of, you know, Ray is she a Kenobi, is she a Skywalker? And that's what started all that as well when those films first started coming out. So we then move to the reveal of Starkiller Base. We get mm. another Death Star. Could you be more Nazi? <laughs> yeah, this speech <laughs> is one of the highlight moments of this film. It is so evil and it is so powerful and you've really got to like take a minute to think about the gravitas of this situation so when i watch the force awakens back and you realize like what a big moment this is essentially they destroy the republic in one go when you think about that with the speech and you think about all the first order there for that event that's what makes that so powerful at the same time yeah. as well as how Nazi Germany that moment is. It's just, I think it's definitely one of Domhnall Gleeson's standout moments in terms oh, yeah, of his definitely. acting. Yeah. And a little fact for you, Matt, that you might not know that Go I was on. talking with Chris about because he's just played it on Fallen Order. <laughs> Starkiller Base strongly suggested that it is the same planet 
the Jedi younglings used to go get their lightsaber crystals from, called Ilum. Uh, right. Because in the Fallen Order game, you see Ilum, and it's got the trenches, and it's got the big gap where it's been dug into that Starkiller no Base has around it. Way. So, yeah. yeah. So there's and a little... af- after we spoke about that as well, I saw the episode of Clone Wars where they're at the Jedi Temple at Ilum. And it is, it's the same temple that you see in the game and stuff like that. I love just the world building all being tied together. The fact that they've been able to take the heartland of the Jedi Order and they are using that to destroy the fucking galaxy. Sandy. Just when you think about the implications of that, like how sinister is that? It's, at that point, you get the full like attack on... Maz's castle and stuff, don't you? And the kidnapping of Ray, and then you get the reintroduction of Leia. Traitor! 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 Shoom. Interesting <laughs> moment. That stormtrooper's designation is T R eight R. Yeah, right for traitor. Like trait. Ah, uh... it's a thing. It's a nice, thing. Yep. nice, nice. I think they decided that after the film came out, though, didn't they? Yeah, when they, everyone was saying they it. They did. And they gave them a backstory because that yeah. is a oh. stormtrooper that Finn trained with. So that's why he recognizes him and calls him traitor. So adds a little bit yeah. more world building in it as well, which is pretty cool. Nice, nice, nice. Seeing Carrie in this and like every time there's a scene with her, like she's just got a gravitas in this trilogy. Yeah. And like. like obviously now in retrospect now that she's passed on like it makes it even more heartwarming but oh man man ah. can we like take a moment as well like we didn't mention at the beginning how quickly they drop in that it's ben solo we didn't know that until watching this film and they drop it in so fast because i was in the cinema and i was just like whoa whoa really like that's fast you know what i mean so i think they could have made it more ambiguous you know i think they could have played on the fact of that ben it could have come across that Ben had died and that it was really just ambiguous until the point of where she was like, bring him back. And they're like, what? And then I think they could yeah, have gone I... down that route instead. Yeah, maybe have the reveal in their conversation then rather than Snoke just saying it to Kyle. Yeah, I think that's... Yeah, yeah, because if they had waited until it was Han and Leia talking about it and he's just there like, I've seen our son and you're like, who's your son? then you realise that it was Kylo. Yeah, like, yeah. That would have been more impactful than Snoke dropping it. Yeah, it's a little bit less spoon-fed with the reveals, yeah. isn't it? So, And let's take a quick minute to talk about that X-Wing scene over the water. Very cool. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Apocalypse now. Oh, it's so sick. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Kylo unmasked moment. Now, Matt, you're a massive mm. Adam Driver fan. Was this the baby-faced, emo-looking Adam Driver you were expecting to see when Kylo Ren unmasked? Or... <laughs> um, he did definitely drive the uh, Jared Way moment on that one. I think as he grows... He drove it, did he? Yeah, drive. He, drive. He Adam drove Driver it. Did. Drove it, drive it. Having drove it. I think... <laughs> I think it was... I think... The look of Kylo works without the mask, but that is just my preference. But I think in 8 and 9, I think it's a better look. I think in kind of episode 7, it just looks a bit bizarre because they didn't know where it worked with the character and he had this giant sort of Vader mask that wasn't a Vader mask that made the clicking sound when it was taken off like Vader's and stuff like that. It was just kind of like a weird aspect and I think it was just like, 
oh, he looks really youthful. And then you actually see his age, and it's like, holy shit, you are not youthful in the slightest. Yeah, he's definitely playing a lot younger, isn't he? That That's yeah. something that the, he does really well. And you've got to give him credit. He's an amazing actor as well. It's very, that's very fantastic. good. I think he's an absolute highlight of, understandably, of this franchise just because of the acting power he's got. I think he was so mm-hmm. well cast. Was it from me, my perspective when I got introduced to him as an actor? I hadn't seen him in anything um, because I hadn't seen the film that him and the actor who plays Poe uh, did. Inside Lewin Davis. That's the one. I, they did a film a Fantastic while back. Fantastic film. But I hadn't been introduced to that just yet. When it was the introduction to him as an actor in episode seven, I was like, oh, okay, I wonder where they're going to go with that then. And obviously, there's all this other. Stuff he's done, and he's amazing to it. And he brought so much to these next few films that just worked amazingly. He wasn't, like, really experienced when he got cast. Like, he was still relatively unknown to a lot of people. Like you said, like, inside Lewin Davis, he only had a small part in. And he, he was playing an ex-military guy, which he is in real life. So, yeah, it's like, crazy. But he had some sort of credentials. He had been in a Coen Brothers movie. He had been in several features. Whereas Daisy Ridley hadn't had as much experience i think having adam driver there to play opposite daisy ridley i think was a really smart choice because he could bring the gravitas to it which then brought her level up i think having those two play off each other you could tell that they worked well together yeah have you seen the ted talk that adam driver did about his military yeah yeah that's pretty crazy yeah yeah he's a really interesting guy yeah can't remember if it's the Hollywood Reporter or Variety, but they do actors on actors. So they like, when Marriage Story was coming out, they had uh, Scarlett Johansson talking with Chris Evans, and they had Adam Driver on. And I can't I can't remember for the life of me who he's talking to, but that was a really fascinating like insight into him again. Like he mm-hmm. was, he is really humble about all this stuff, and he doesn't take anything for granted. Moving on, uh, we have the Phasma exit, so to speak. She gets uh, with that terrible little bit of humor that we get um which is just writing an issue with writing yeah. i think where it's like yeah, that's... who's who's the boss now phasma who's the boss it's, <laughs> yeah. it's i'm in charge now you did it amazingly john but it shouldn't have been part of your script that's that's the problem with yeah. that that was the most disney moment in this film i think yeah yeah and then mm. phasma gets absolutely just rinsed out of the franchise with this she <laughs> is there to sell toys <laughs> that is what she's there she's it's a batman effect. and robin mask batman and robin effect a film made entirely just for toys <laughs> yeah it is exactly that and then yeah. we get the hand death now i'm gonna start talking about the hand death because I'm, I'm conscious of like how much time we spent so the one point i really want to make on this is there's a really really effective bit where when Kylo and Hannah are having that conversation about, you know, you're my son and stuff and your son's Chef's dead, <laughs> the lighting on Kylo's face, yes. There's, a, yes, there's a really amazing moment where split down his face, one side is blue and one side is red to represent the, the light side and the dark side. As Starkiller base absorbs the planet for the sun and it disappears, the blue goes and... It's that moment where Hans got the lightsaber in his hand yeah. as well to take it off of him, and the light goes from blue, and the red just takes all over his face, and it it's a beautiful way of showing that conflict and visualizing it as yeah. well. It shows like just the state of mind. Yeah, it's that 
absolute premier level of cinematography it's visual storytelling is what it is like you learn everything in that scene in that moment like light in star wars is always referred to as hope and like you said he's just left with sith red all over him. yeah oh, and chef's kiss chef's yeah. kiss <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because our our friend actually had this spoiled for him he had it tweeted to him before he went into the midnight show in oh. a screenshot of how no, no. no it, it wasn't spoiled for him so he was on his phone when the trailers were on and stuff like that and he had a notification came through on instagram and because like he's got like followers from his music career and stuff like that, people like send him shit whenever he posts anything. So like the lights were going down and the trailers were starting and stuff like that. We were, like oh, turn no. your phone off. No. So he turned his phone off and didn't see it. The first thing he looked at when he opened his phone after the film was that notification, and it was a screenshot of Han getting skewered. Like <laughs> he was so close to having it spoiled oh, for him. Oh, it's mad, isn't it? So, Matt, what did you think of that moment? Because that's quite a big moment in this film. What did you think about it? I was one of the unfortunate bastards who got it ruined for him before the film. Um, oh, what a shame. What a shame. <laughs> I was like, Harrison's killing all his favourite characters. Um, but, <laughs> but no, I think it was very much fitting. It was very much drove or... Adam drove the story home. Adam driving a lightsaber through his dad. Yeah, I think that scene was just so good. I, f- I, <laughs> I think that's one of the, like the my highlights from these three films. I think just this moment was just so heavy, and the way he did it, yeah. and it, it went from like from feelings to, "Cheers, you've done me a favor. Bye bye." <laughs> and that was it. It was just like, yeah. "Ooh, you, you nasty. <laughs> you mean." You even have Han's body fall into the blue light of the pit as well, though. Ah! After this scene, you have Trench Run 3, Revenge of the Trench, as I've put it here. Yeah, I have nothing to say about this trench run because it is what it is. It's it's, yeah. it's a trench run. And it was cool it to get another one. Great. I spoke a bit about how it'd be cool to see some of the stuff from the original trilogy with modern CGI. And I think yeah, well, that's, there you go. that's about as close as what I get to the original trench run with up-to-date yeah. graphics. So. Yeah, it looked yeah. great, but we didn't need yeah. it. Figure uh, out a different way of blowing it up. <laughs> now let's wrap it up. You've got the Kylo, Finn and Ray fight. Kylo has a very good traitor shout uh, that he gives <laughs> to Finn. Uh, and he's like he's so brutal in that moment he's punching his wound to get the last of the blood out just to sort of like make it clot a bit so that he can fight oh and why on earth don't we get the shot from the trailer here that's what i want to know like i think that whole backward shot you don't get it you hear the lightsaber ignite and then the camera moves you don't get the walk and the backwards light up of the film he's looking at me very confused now but chris i promise you it's not in there. <laughs> i'm having one of those like mandela effects where you're sure something happened <laughs> i think no, yeah i'll tell you like, right, I, I think my brain's yeah. inserted that shot into the film i think you you fit the piece in there as a piece of the puzzle because you see that shot in yeah, the trailer yeah. and it's not in the film but in your brain you've had lodged that piece of memory so hard so then when you actually watch it it's like yeah that was that shot was the i know but you know what a little bit of his theme or something it just would have it would have been cool man it would have been cool like i said if there was bits that i could change and go back and if i had the control to change something i would have put that in put a little bit of his theme and have a bit more music in this bit personally yeah 
like this is where you first see the conflict inside of Rey. What side of the force is she going to go to? Like in the novelization, you know, when she's on the edge and like he's like literally forcing her over, and he's like, "Join me, like I'll teach you how to use the force." Type thing. She's hearing uh, Snoke and Palpatine in her head in the novelization of it that came out the same day as the film. She's hearing Snoke inside of her head being like, I'm going to train you in the Force, like, fall to the dark side and I'll show you how to use the Force. You'll be so powerful. Fulfill your destiny, all this sort of shit. That's so, like, you, cool. you see in that moment, like, he's got her, like, on her last legs and, like, this is when, like, the, well, the character that she would go on to be, in that moment, you see her close her eyes and she tunes everything out and that's when she opens herself mm. up to the Force fully. I mean, such a cool scene. She does the cool lightsaber grab, which was, like, the moment in the film. Yeah. You get the What's soundtrack the and stuff. That was, that the, was gasp. the stuff. That was the gasp. Yeah, that was a cool gasp. But I think people were like, "Oh, Luke's gonna grab it, and whose jacket is it, and all that." There was a lot of a lot <laughs> yeah, of who's, questions. Who dies in this scene? Yeah. Who's the jacket? <laughs> yeah. It was yeah, because in the trailer, Matt, there was a little like where you see Ray like over somebody who looks She's dead. Crying. It's Finn in the actual film, yeah. but a lot of people were thinking, "Who is it?" And there was everyone pred- thought it was Han because of the jacket. I thought that scene killed. I think to wrap up the film the way it did, I think it was the perfect way to wrap that up with that fight scene, with that part, with the moment where the lightsaber comes over. It's like, oh, this is what we wanted. This is yeah. Star Wars. This is the pivotal moment. I think that location, man. I think, I think it was the snowy perfect, forest. It's cool. Yeah, I think the, the snowy forest worked well. I think it worked its purpose. So speaking of wrapping up, uh, we have Luke on an island is the last shot of this film incredible but i don't like the way it was shot i don't like the helicopter bit at the end this is my thing right okay so she goes up and she pulls the lightsaber out but then it's just awkward like shot of her shot of him shot of the lightsaber shot of him shot of her like and then you've just got the really long panoramic with the fucking helicopter and you're like Imagine doing that in real life, just staring at somebody blankly for two minutes, holding your arm out. Like, like it's so weird. Like, what they should have done is, like, they had the close-ups of each other's faces. Like, show her, and then show it Luke, and, like, he's looking contemplative. Like, you can't tell. Like, he's torn between, like, happiness and sadness. And then, like, you see a look of shock on his face. And then just cut to a close-up of her hand holding out the lightsaber. Cut to black. Fucking credits. I wanted to see a shot of seeing how fucking fucked up that lightsaber is. Like, the fact that how old that thing is in the first place, number one. And number two, how much shit it's been through. Now this be... is space metal. It don't rust. <laughs> but I want, it to, I want it not to rust, but just to look a bit scratched, a bit fucked. <laughs> I think just so I see it have that bit of gravitas to it. That's what I thought in Rise of Skywalker. Like, after it just got blown up in The Last Jedi, like, it is so shiny and chromey. Like... <laughs> Right. It's definitely like not been repaired. It's just been completely remade. Before we give our like final thoughts on the Force Awakens, uh, we're gonna go through and do Star Wars or Star Wars. So I'm gonna start Ooh. with you, Chris. Star Wars or Star Wars? It's a Star Wars. Okay, uh, Matt, what's your take on it? I'm gonna say Star Wars. What are you saying, Sam? <laughs> I am actually gonna give it a Star Wars. The Force oh. Awakens, because. There's a lot of controversy around these films in terms of what people think are good and what people think are bad. And I think it's very easy to be influenced by people's thoughts on stuff and follow a crowd. Now, 
there's a crowd of people who are either they think either the last jedi is really good or they think the rise of skywalker is really good or they hate them both and like the force awakens so uh, it's it's so conflictive (laughs) and i think i based it off how many moments were in this film that hit me and how many moments in this film that i really switched off and to be honest watching the force awakens again was the one that i was not excited about it holds a special place because of the feelings that i got when i watched it in the cinema i have grown to forgive some of the problems that people had with characters because you've got to think about the pressure that these actors went through one being their first ever star wars film and two they've got such a massive precedence to bring this saga back so at the same time i do understand why it is a star wars but to me this film's a star wars so i just wanted to justify that a little bit before anyone decides to unsubscribe to the podcast because of my opinion (laughs) the last jedi the last jedi let's fire through this because the the trend that we have with these episodes is is we talk a lot about the first of the three and then we have to rush through the last panic rush so i apologize for any weird edits in this but i will have to cut some stuff out to make this good for time so I, i think we spoke too much about the fact that this was a brand new Star Wars trilogy at the beginning of this fucking episode. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. yeah, apologies if over these last few episodes you've heard any dodgy or cuts our edits, but hopefully you haven't, so that's cool. Right, Last Jedi, best intro in my opinion, some of the coolest visuals, some of the coolest sounds. Um, this, for me, is the best first 10 minutes of the prequels and the sequels this has got the best opening scene i changed my mind give me <laughs> give me your thoughts give me your thoughts i agree with that with the fact that there's this is the key film that i think cinematography wise was just on point yes. my god the story might have been flawed in some bits but my god did they nail some shots on this that the one where uh, Rose's sister is on her back and it's the mm. slow-mo shot of just seeing what her in comparison to everything else. Oh, man, they killed it. Like, this film in particular had that visual aesthetic. Like, Ryan Johnson did something that you've not got in any other Star Wars film. That close-up of uh, Rose's sister, just of her eye, and you see the struggle, like, you see everything in that character's face and you've never seen a close-up framed like that of just half of her face her eye and everything going on in the background like you said the cinematography in this film was phenomenal yeah and it goes without saying with how much i'm going to kind of talk about moments in this film but this is my one of my favorites star wars films period Mm -hmm. just because of how out there and how beautiful some of the shots are in this and to me i think that this film you do have to think a lot more about in order to appreciate it Uh, it's full of principles and, and lessons throughout the film and there are things that are under the surface with this that you need to think about when you watch it if you watch this film and don't think about it, you're not going to like it. I know Chris has wrote a dissertation on this, but I, I was literally it's... about to say, <laughs> like, the, there's there's one surface level theme in this film that 
everybody that I saw hate this film completely ignored and did not understand. There is some toxic ass fanboys out there and they ignored the main principle that this film was trying to instill in the next generation of Star Wars fans. Yeah, absolutely. uh, We'll cover it as we get to it. My notes for all these films have been pretty scarce because I didn't want to rabbit on too much, but I've written a dissertation on this thing. And to be honest, if I were to go back to uni now and actually do film, which I probably should have done in the first place, Ah. this would have been my dissertation piece, would have been The Last Jedi, because (laughs) the underlying themes in this film are phenomenal. Ryan Johnson had something to say in this, and this is why it got Laura Dern, this is why it got Benicio Del Toro, Oscar-winning actors and actresses flocked to this film to be in it. If you thought Chris spoke a lot already in these last three episodes, you're going to hear an absolute <laughs> masterpiece from this, him. Here we go. This, this film is like mine and Sam's Dave Filoni moment from the new episode of yeah. Star Wars Galaxy, if you haven't seen it. Gallery, sorry, not Star Wars Galaxy. Yeah, I'm going to have a moment when we talk about The Rise of Skywalker. Anyway, the the humour's spot on in this film. I think that the hooks and Poe joke, I think, really works. I think it's mm-hmm. good. I think the BB-8 plugging the sparks is really good humour. That freaking X-Wing handbrake turn that we get is heavy AF. That is wicked. When those bombers are first coming in, you put Flight of the Valkyries over that and tell me it's not the same shot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there's also an interesting thing. I went back and watched the deleted scenes for Last Jedi and actually had an alternative opening scene, which was Finn waking up instead. So that was actually the initial opening scene and then they changed it so that it went straight to that space battle which was a good choice, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, I think that's better. I always recognised his face, but I didn't recognise where from. You know uh, General Hooks' second-in-command? It was Captain Pavey, who was played by Adrian Edmondson, which is a great British comedy actor from like Bottom and The Young Ones and stuff like that. Great mm. actor. Mm. Takes you where Force Awakens leaves off, which is nice. We get to see that difference straight away. Uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't as hurt about him chucking the lightsaber as what everybody else was. I thought it was an interesting. It was like a what moment in the cinema? That that moment in our screening made everybody laugh. We were like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> it just caught you off guard. You were like, "What the fuck's he doing?" Like, like I get why people are kind of pissy about it, but in the grand scheme of Luke's arc. It makes total sense. Yeah. Like definitely. when you see that one scene out of context for the first time, you're like, what the fuck? And I think that's why people laughed. But when you see his character arc altogether, that's why it makes sense. What was your reaction to that in the cinema when you watched it? Because obviously it was such a massive moment that was hyped up in The Force Awakens. But obviously everyone had like a, everyone, I don't think a lot of people saw that coming where he just chucked the lightsaber over his back, Matt. So, <laughs> so <yeet>. I think. <laughs> Nah. Um... (laughs) Do you know what? I was about to say, this is the only trilogy without somebody yeeting themselves off something, but he just yeets the lightsaber instead. So there we go. We got our yeet moment. There you go. My overall thoughts on certain scenes like this is we've been given this message of what to expect with this film ever since the first trailer where there's the shot of Luke going, this isn't going to go the way you expect it to. And I think that was driven and driven and driven and no one took notice of it because they thought it was going to be out of context. But the whole fact that Ryan Johnson had this message and it was pretty much in fucking flashing neon lights 
Everyone ignored it. They kept going with the theories and their ideas and stuff like that. And when we got what The Last Jedi was, everyone was like, what? What do you mean? Mm-hmm. So we didn't want this. Yeah. This is Star Wars, but you were given this message of how this was going to be since day one. You chose to ignore it. And it was said in yeah, fucking blatant, point. bold, hyper-shining fucking neon lights of how this film was going to go. And I think it was refreshing. I think the whole aspect of Luke throwing this lightsaber, like, eh, means nothing. I think that was such a refreshing take. Literally the next scene with Luke in it, he literally says he's not the legendary Luke Skywalker that everybody's been talking about. Like, he's not the version of Luke that fanboys have been jacking off over for fucking 30 years. Like, this is a flawed, real character. Like, he's not just going to come in and save the day. Like, this isn't his story anymore. And people needed to realize that. And I think that's why so many people didn't like Luke in this trilogy was because he's not this all-powerful Jedi that was just going to come in and save the day. Why introduce new characters? Why introduce Rey and Kylo and Poe and Finn if you're just going to have fucking Luke come in and do everything for them? It was powerful in a way that he has understood the failings of everything. And he goes on to talk about that, that you're not, you're not meant to be like a guy swinging a laser sword around. Like he said, it's all about learning and being wise and understanding things. And it, it's a really, like I said, this is a really interesting way that Star Wars takes on it. And I think the the connections and stuff it makes is what makes this film really good. So, you know, I'll, I'll defend The Last Jedi and probably Chris and Matt will till, till the end of time, to be My fair. My next note was... Luke became wiser in isolation, just like Yoda did. Yeah, exactly. This is he this has is become Luke. the Yoda character. Yeah, exactly. Luke has done what Yoda did, and just to touch him right at the end, when you get Force Ghost Yoda and Force Ghost Luke in the Rise of Skywalker, the Force Ghost Yoda you get is the Yoda from Dagobah, not the Yoda from Clone Wars, and the mm. the Force Ghost Luke you get in the Rise of Skywalker is Old Man Luke, who's wearing his robes when he's had that conversation with Yoda. And the rule with Force Ghosts is they are at their most powerful or at their best when you get them in their Force Ghost form, and that's yeah. why they're the way they are, and that's why that is so important. Otherwise, you would have got young Mark Hamill as a Force Ghost, and if that was what star wars wanted you to think that he was most powerful there then you're wrong amen <laughs> preach 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 right, let's Papa move bless. let's move <laughs> this along so another big moment is when leia dies in this film a lot of people were a bit torn on how she mary poppins herself back to life and and goes back to the ship what were your thoughts on that i yeah um i felt like mm, i don't know how to put it into words this bit the fact that she goes into Superman mode made me chuckle. I remember seeing as yeah. Simba's being like, ah, oh, okay. I, I see what you're doing. I want some sort of explanation of what you're doing there. See, this didn't bother me. Like We always knew she was Force-sensitive and stuff like that. Yet it was a bit weird the way that like she used Force-pull in a different way that we haven't seen people really use it before. We've had, yeah. since Return of the Jedi, we've had confirmation that Leia is one with the Force. Yeah, I don't think people's problems were that she was Force-sensitive. I think the problem was, is in the context of it, she was blown out of a bridge into space. She was frozen over, and it's like she was still alive. I think that was the problem that I had with that bit. I would have rather have... Um, 
nobody but... cared when fucking Star Lord did it in Guardians of the Galaxy. Different, different universe, different universe. <laughs> it's the exact same thing though. He gets sucked out and he starts to freeze up in space because everyone seems to think as soon as you go in space, like your head explodes. It doesn't. Yeah, but we're going to come to the we'll, cold of we'll space scanners, right? We'll, 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 we're not we're not bringing Marvel into this, Chris. It's Star Wars. <laughs> no, I started to bring science into it. You're going to freeze before you explode. So like, she had time to pull herself back in. Neither of these films are science. <laughs> Neither of them. Look, I think the thing was is that she died and come back. I don't think realistically any other character in the Star Wars universe that may have happened to. You know what I mean? I think that's yeah. what. But they didn't want to kill her off. I think it was that it was that fake out, wasn't it? Where it's like we'd, we're not done with her yet. Uh, we actually had like a pretty important moment before this as well. Is the conversation between um, Poe and Leia when she calls him out on his shit? Yeah, and, like at what cost? Like you took out a dreadnought, but at what cost? And that sets up his entire arc for this film. Also, she says, "Get your head out your cockpit," which is a brilliant Disney way of being like, "Stop thinking with your dick and stop being a dickhead." <laughs> like the fact that she said "cockpit" instead of "stop being a cock" <laughs> is a great censorship. Like this is the first instant that we see where his character arc is going and what one of the main themes of this film. Just to start my dissertation off, is about toxicity and toxic masculinity is what this film deals with so heavily and it's no coincidence that this film came out probably a year and a half two years into the me too movement as well like there's no chance that it is a coincidence and there's no chance that laura Dern would have been in this film without it having such a strong female presence in this film okay that's interesting it's an interesting yeah. way of looking at it yeah i've got so many things about this throughout which i'll tell you as they come up we talk about force powers being crazy in this but we talk about force skype for a second uh obviously it's then revealed that snoke or palpatine is bridging them together but this was quite a, a controversial thing that people had problems with and people thought were cool in the last jedi i thought it was fucking hilarious i thought it was still fat so it's just turned it's just like and went ah <laughs> and he's like yeah ah <laughs> and it's kind of like they were like uh uh, and then all of a sudden she just like throws out a blaster gun and fucking shoot aims at him. He's like, oh, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> like, type thing. And then it, it kept like, it just feels being like most, he's been shot. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's the most, the most inconvenient times of when this happens. Like the one where it just fair on in the film where he's just casually got these Kylo man muscles out and fucking. He's, he's just, wide boy Kylo. He just turns around like, with his very high on, pants just... on, and he's like, "Have you not got something to cover it?" Or something like that. Just, just put your massive wide chest away, please. <laughs> <laughs> so the next thing we have is the lessons that Luke's doing for Ray, which mm-hmm. is cool. You get a little bit of a joke about how he wiggles the the leaf in front of her hand and stuff. Yeah. It's funny. It's a touch on force for people who might not, you know, people who are going who aren't Star Wars buffs who, you know, it's space wizards and stuff, isn't it? So it's a nice little touch on that. But what I find very interesting, and to me, this already sets her up from now 
to be set up as a Palpatine. I have a feeling that they knew this from the very beginning with mm-hmm. her. They had this all in place. When Ray's connecting to the Force for the, that first time with Luke, and she says she sees the life and stuff, which also is a very, very cool montage of images and stuff, which we don't ever really get in Star Wars films. Um, when he says she goes straight to the dark and she starts to see all this stuff and... I think to me that is straight away. She's looking inside of herself. He's saying, look inside of yourself. And he's seeing the light and then she sees the dark and she he says, you went straight to the dark. And that, I think, is the setup for, of her being a Palpatine or being from Palpatine from then. So it's yeah. it's all been there. It's not. It wasn't a surprise. It was all set up from the get-go anyway. I'm pretty sure I've heard JJ say that before they started the trilogy, they knew she was a Palpatine. And I think that they told Ryan Johnson that, and that's why, like you said, she goes straight to the dark in this. You know the whole bit later on as well, where um, like he's saying like your parents are nothing. I'm not sure they figured out how she was connected to Palpatine. Maybe they were going to go with another Shmi Skywalker type thing, like um, her parents were nothing. Well, I'll tell you what, let's talk about this now so we don't need to talk about it later, because there's no point going off to come back to it, right? So... What I got from this, uh, I could be wrong, um, whatever, but it's more I took away. So when you get Ray in the cave and she sees herself, she she sees the two people go to one, and then she sees the one person, and then she sees herself. So to me, what that says is that it isn't clear who her parents were, and that's why you see two people in black go into one person, and that's why she sees herself. She says, show me who my parents are. The reason it shows her herself is because she doesn't have blood parents. She wasn't born from her parents. She was born from the Force, and that is why she sees herself. And that's why when Kylo has that vision and tells her, that's because it isn't clear to Kylo. All Kylo's had a vision of is these junk trader parents leave her. That's what he's seen. And his dictation of that would be that that's her parents. But later on in The Rise of Skywalker, when Palpatine probably explains it to him, what we don't see is how he explains it. So at this point, if she was using the Force to find out who her parents were, if she had blood parents, in that scene, it would show her. It would show her them. It's not in in Star Wars. It would show her, and based off what that cave is, it would show her. So that's why I really strongly believe that she is another Anakin, and and I think that's why what happens is that she is her mum and dad aren't Palpatine's children. I just want to make that clear. Palpatine never had a child. That's my theory. So Palpatine never had a child. He, Shmi Skywalkered this couple. That's and, what I'm saying, yeah. And when he sent that uh, Sith bounty hunter or whatever to kill them, he was trying to find that child. Now it became. Now she's become of age to train her like he was going to take Anakin and train him. And he couldn't do it because they saved her. So what's the next best thing? The next best thing would be to take Ben Solo once you've learned of Ben being related to Leia, therefore related to Anakin. So that's your next best thing. So they saw Anakin as a son of a slaver. You see Rey as the daughter of junk traders. So 
that would also explain how she became powerful so quickly because you have to look at the at these as the equivalent of anakin but with more powerful guidance she's focusing on her abilities from training that she's had from luke and leia throughout the two films without the distractions of things like a jedi order and a jedi council formalities and the clone wars but like i said maybe palpatine didn't know about ben solo but once he did that's why he had no longer a use for ray and that's why he wanted Ray to die until he had his idea in The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, that's my that... rant. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. <laughs> that is my rant on... That's what... Yeah. For me, the reason why she sees herself is for the same reason one of the themes in Rise of Skywalker is it's not necessarily the family that you're part of, it's the family that you choose to have. And that's something that Palpatine says to her, is like, you're going to watch your new family, your chosen family, die. And mm-hmm. that's why she's a Skywalker at the end of it, because that's the family that she chose. She chose the light. She chose the Skywalkers to train her to be her guidance in the world. So they became her family. Mm-hmm. And also, if she is a product of Palpatine the same way that Anakin was, then she is much of a Skywalker as Anakin is. I still have thoughts on that, but we'll get to that. Uh, Matt, yeah. what's your uh, thoughts uh, on that big old ramp? Because I've covered off two bits from two different films that we're not going to need to talk <laughs> about now. So I've probably not given as much as far as you two did. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> nope. You, I promise you, you, you wouldn't have. So nope. don't worry about it. So I didn't have an issue with the whole Palpatine being her grandfather thing. I, I just kind of accepted it. I thought that's just the way it was. The thing I took from the reflection thing was very much sort of in the same vein as what you looked at, but because she had no attachment really to her parents and was just very independent, and that's why she saw the reflection of herself, I kind of took it as that. So that's where I kind of went with that thought process. I was somewhere like a merge between the two of you, I think. Yeah. When you see the close-ups of her with Luke over her shoulder explaining to her what the Force actually is, they're both wearing entirely grey. The wall slate behind them is entirely grey. Like Most of the shots that we see of the world around him is layered in a grey tone. That's because he's saying that it's not the black and the white, it's not the light and the dark. Like You need to be down the middle. That's yeah. what balancing the force really is. And I think that was the theme that they were going for in this. It's like exact opposites in any way are not good. Like You don't need a left, you don't need a right, you need a centre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah for sure yeah. And uh, i think like the coloring of that entire island which is that entire island's purpose is to say let the past die let the jedi die but also don't give in to the sith become the neutral middle which is the purest form of the force is the gray i think ryan johnson just told you everything that you needed to tell in that one scene where he's explaining it and the colors and everything like that just depicts it can we just quickly talk about the cinematography on the scene of obviously where it's showing you like a montage of different clips of different stuff and when you actually see the dark side pit with the waves and it all looks dark and it's just this this getting closer and closer oh my god it kills it just that cinematography is so good like yeah, that felt like yeah. a horror film almost. Like it was yes. like I remember Sam shitting himself when the water geyser went off. Like <laughs> I think this is what Ryan Johnson like doesn't get recognized for enough for this film is visually you can't fault it. It is amazing. Um I think this is probably one of those films where we don't need to talk about it scene by scene, but just take parts from it. So I mean Canto Bite is probably the next 
big thing that goes on. In terms of this, I'd, I think it's fine. I think it has some interesting topics because, it again, how we talked about how it talks about both sides, this film, a lot. I think how it how it has that description about how war is funded on either side and stuff is quite an interesting little bit that we mm-hmm. don't get a lot in Star Wars. But I do think the Falthia, which are the um, horse things yeah. that, that escape, is a little bit out of place, I think. And I think it does maybe damage Finn's character a little bit. I understand people's problems with that. But I, I don't have as much problems with this as what other people do. So yeah. what, what, what are our thoughts on that Canto bite bit, which people thought was very prequel? Like, you hear Rose talking about it, talking about, like, it's a despicable place full of greed, like, all this sort of stuff. Like, she's describing it how most people would think of, like, the cantinas and stuff like that. And, like, it's meant to be, like, the worst people in the galaxy and then they show it and then Finn's just swept away with, like, the beauty of it and everything like that. It's like, yeah, money and greed is seductive. Like, it is beautiful. It's glossy. Like, it brings people in. There's a reason it's, like, a sin. Like, it brings you in. It has a facade of being great, but it's not. Like, it's built off, like, slave trade and war profiteering and stuff like that like it's a disgusting place it's the exact opposite of like how uh the canteen is shown like in episode four a new hope like it's the most wretched hive of scum and villainy you could ever find but then it's it's canto by instead i'm in two frames of minds with this bit so the first bit is what i thought in the cinema was i wasn't a fan of this bit and the reason being is I thought it drived a bit too far away of like the actual drive of the storyline. I mean, so the other part of what I think about this bit is I get that this film is trying to say something and it's going to have a message, but at the same point of that, it needs to remember what franchise it's in. Where Ryan Johnson is incredibly talented, Knives Out is a fantastic film, but there needs to be a certain level of where there's a line where it sits and what these trying to point out as a message and how it's meant to drive the storyline along. I think there was too much of like, ironically, there was on one side driving this storyline of what you had and then there was the other side of it where the message was trying to come across as well. And I imagine at some point there was an amazing version of it where it wasn't hacked a bit by Disney because they will be having that side of it where they'll be going, this needs to go, this needs to go, this needs to go. I think mm-hmm. that was not a big contributing part of where it was just a bit of an uneasy sit for some people because they just didn't understand this concept of that. There was a message, but yet it was meant to be the next part in this storyline and he just didn't know where to go with it. And I think this is where this uneasiness came from with this bit. Yeah, but I, think, I, yeah. Think, I think there's an argument to be had, though, that we need these sort of messages in these big temple <laughs> films like this. These are the perfect films to put these things in because people will learn and acknowledge stuff without having to have it forced down the throat it's like it's like bombshell clearly tackles like feminism and stuff like that and the problem with the industry and everything the same way that this film does but bombshell is about it and people aren't going to see it if they're not willing to open themselves to that you won't see toxically masculine men seeing that film but they'll see star wars and they might learn something about feminism there's an argument to be had that we should be having these themes in these films like when you're saying like it needs to remember what franchise it's in i kind of disagree with that like 
it's a great way to put it in there. It oh, is no, totally. jarring because it's it's flanked on either side by The Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker, and Rise of Skywalker tried to do away with a lot of what The Last Jedi did. Yeah. And I think that hurt the argument more than anything. Yeah, 100%. I think, yeah, I totally agree with that, that these messages need to be had. It needs to be mm-hmm. this reflection on, obviously, this, this is aimed at a younger audience. These messages are important to point out of what's morally right really but yeah. i feel like because this isn't just a director who's been able to take full control of something it's a beast upon this film mm-hmm. i think it, either one way or another they're not going to have like a straight narrow directive on what he wanted to achieve from this film there was always going to be some sort of push from another side to kind of yeah. steer it in another direction i think that's what affected this bit. I think that was mm-hmm. the, the main thing with it. I think it would have totally worked in, yeah, it was very prequely. But I yeah. think for the storyline, it was just a bit of a strange one to have, I think. Yeah, I think that's the main issue with Canto Bite is it's jarringly different from the rest of the film. Like, it's got a different message to tell and it feels a bit tacked on in the middle. I think yeah. that's what the biggest issue is, and I think that's why a lot of people didn't like it, was because, like you said, it's sidetracked away from the main story. I'm going to jump in and just say that I have a feeling that maybe the the idea of Canto Bite was probably what Disney probably would have wanted more in the film. Like, you would have had a criteria, and it's like, we want you to have this little fun moment in here. Um, yeah. where you need it, a certain amount of planets, a certain amount of different like environments. Yeah, yeah. You want more world building. You need something that's gonna. We want a chase scene in this. You know what I mean? We want something like that in mm-hmm. there. In uh, you know, it's it's one of them. So yeah, it's an interesting, interesting uh, thoughts on Canto Bite. I think that it's definitely one of the more polarizing aspects of this film. Talking about polarizing aspects of the film, we get more of a look at Snoke. Andy Serkis doing the voice is wicked as Snoke mm-hmm. in this. Yeah, um, and I think that the sinisterness you've got of his character and the clear display of how powerful he is in terms of how he uses the Force is awesome. And I think it's only explained that it does make sense that it is, again, Palpatine pulling the strings on this because how do you have this person be so powerful that isn't Plagueis? I kind of wonder sometimes when you see the clones of Snoke in the tanks at the beginning of Rise of Skywalker, Mm -hmm. whether he created Snoke as a parody of his master with the scarring and everything like that and looking kind of deformed because of he he having such that hate for his master when he tells Anakin that story. So that was an interesting thing that I thought about. But yeah, you get this absolutely crazy moment where Snoke gets killed. So what did you think, Matt, of how quickly they killed off Snoke and did you kind of enjoy that twist? I think because my brain was so set on him being the main problem the main villain i think my brain didn't want to comprehend what just happened so it was just stuck in a lag of they just fucking killed snoke what the fuck oh shit they're fighting people what the fuck it was i think i just didn't have my brain was just like what i think it was great i think it was absolutely awesome what they did with it because i think it took kylo ren into a completely different direction and uncharted ground with that um Mm -hmm. So in retrospect, and I'm watching it again, I think it was such a good choice. Yeah, I agree. I think it gave Kylo that window for him to take control, to not be pushed around like he was in Episode 7, and also the beginning of 
um the last jedi where he's told to take that stupid thing off just just so brutal yeah i think that that throne room moment just kills it like the moment where he kills snoke and back to what i said earlier on you've got good representation of red armored guard in this <laughs> yeah. the, the only time that they get used <laughs> the rule of cool is followed perfectly and this is why you've got to give ryan johnson the credit because in the rise of skywalker you've got sith troopers that are absolutely unplayed like you've got royal guards in the original trilogy just absolutely there's nothing there for them especially the ones that are with palpatine at the end uh, they're just absolutely tossed aside where on here he gave them purpose and he gave them questionably a lot of people were torn because they a lot of people thought it should have been the knights of ren there instead but yeah. the fact that we got this and they were cool awesome characters like let's talk about this throne room scene for a minute i'm going to give my two thoughts on it and then i'll pass over to chris and, and matt but not only were we had that awesome bait and switch moment where snoke gets killed you've not only got the praetorian guards that are you know living up to hype that we should have from these kind of characters and not just absolutely boba fetted but the whole fight sequence when we think about it with the slow-mo with the the actual set piece it's a representation of everything burning and falling down and then the galaxy being around them you've got embers all over the place and i took a moment to really think about like this and it just just beautifully shot and if anything, I think it's one of the more interesting set pieces that we've we've had in a long time. That alone, and then followed up by the Battle of Crate, is just it, it makes this film spot on. So I'll pass over to Matt, and then we'll pass over to Chris. Yeah, I think visual wise, it was amazing this bit, and I enjoy that it's not a smooth ride. I enjoy that it's partially sloppy, and it's purposely sloppy for that purpose where it's not a simple, the Jedis with the lightsabers are much better than the other opposing threat. It's literally like it is an actual struggle for him. And I actually, for once, I actually enjoyed seeing that because he actually added a bit more gravity to it and didn't make it a smooth ride like you expect it to be. Which then revolves back mm-hmm. to this whole thing of this is not going to turn out the way you expect it. Which I think like that just has yeah. a constant reminder throughout this entire film. He's literally describing his own death as it's about to happen like his hubris is so massive that like he yeah he's seeing in kylo ren what's happening but he's so fucking blinded by his own ego and his own power that he thinks it's not happening to him he's like you're twisting the lightsaber towards your true enemy as like he's holding it up to ray and like he's just like you're gonna ignite it and strike down your true enemy and he's so grained is in his own fucking ego thinking he's the fucking supreme leader that he doesn't like recognize the fact that he's the real enemy he's the one the lightsaber's right next to him like if he's so strong with the fucking force he should be able to feel it but he's not he's destroyed by his own ego in that moment do you reckon that that oversight was something to do with that obviously now we know palpatine was controlling snoke this whole time do you reckon it's something that 
we got we've got to assume that Snoke was being controlled. There was loads of him. There was three of him, four of him, from mm-hmm. what we saw. Do you reckon maybe that was Palpatine unable to see past what's what was physically <clears throat> happening that that was the oversight there, that maybe it was that I think it was again like I think it was Palpatine's hubris just as much as Snoke's. Because to me now, seeing that Snoke was like a clone that was manufactured by Palpatine and everything like that, possibly even using Palpatine's DNA maybe, we don't know, that's how maybe he was so imbued with the Force and stuff. I see those two characters as one in the same in this film. Snoke is a fragment of Palpatine. I think that's just palpatine's ego throughout these nine films thinks that he's the fucking supreme leader of the galaxy like he's done everything he can to rule over everything so snoke in that moment for me now seeing rise of skywalker is like an element of palpatine and he's so blinded he thinks he's in control of the entire situation palpatine thinks he's in control of the situation until he gets defeated in rise of skywalker so i think it's literally just his own ego has spread onto Snoke. I don't think it's part of Palpatine's plan, almost. Like, I think that's just, like, they're so blinded by their own ego. Like, they both think they're the top of the food chain. Yeah, well, at this point, I think Palpatine still obviously wants Ray dead. And he still, back to my theory, is that he still wanted to take over to manipulate mm. Ben instead and to get Ben to strike him down. You know what I mean? I think in that moment, he thought his plan was going perfectly to plan. Yeah, and I think it's after that that he realises that it needs to kind of switch. So, yeah. And then in that fight scene, I've also written, Arya stole Rey's move. The way that she killed the Night King is exactly how Rey killed that last Praetorian guard. Yeah, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Like with the drop of the lightsaber, catch it and cut the gut type thing. That bit where Kylo switches that lightsaber on dead quick and leaves that hole in that Praetorian guard's face, that was a a moment in the cinema where everyone went, ooh. (laughs) Yeah, 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 it was cool. (laughs) They're again, they're talking about the balance of the force between the two of them, and I think this is the moment you realise that, like, in retrospect, that they are the dyad of the force, is where they're both fighting over the lightsaber, and they're both offering the hand to each other. Only Kylo can't see that he needs to turn to the grey, and Ray is just thinking that they all need to go to the light. So they're on opposite sides thinking that they need to be Jedi and Sith instead of realising that together they can do this. They can be the dyad and bring the balance to the Force, but they need to be right down the middle. Mm. What's kind of cool in this bit is that when they're pulling that lightsaber apart, you can hear the crystal humming. That I found yeah. that... From a nerd point of view, I found that pretty cool because kyber and crystals also, do make a hum. So yeah, and also in that moment, as soon as it fractures, you get the holdo maneuver. Somebody talk to me, please, about the holdo <laughs> maneuver. What did you think of a, a a ship going hyperspace for another ship and destroying it, Matt? Did you enjoy that? That was so badass. That was so good. It's <laughs> very badass. It's very badass. I think that is the most silent I have ever seen a cinema. When it blasts through it and it's silent. Look, yeah. And there was there <sighs> were people in that cinema that we were with who, after they'd seen this, didn't like that. But you cannot doubt the people that didn't like it when they watched it in the cinema reacted how everybody else did when it happened. I don't get why there's anything to dislike in that. The sound design, the visuals, the actual thought of it. Like, like this is what like I always goes through my head. Because, like, so we see it in the next film when the hyperspace hopping and stuff like that. Like, you're appearing through hyperspace. You still have to fly there. You get from one to another. You're not teleporting. 
you're actually traveling there faster than the speed of light you're still not going through particles like so like when they're coming out in different places they quickly have to like swerve because they're about to hit stuff yeah if you're right next to something and you hyperspace through it it would blow a goddamn massive hole into it and it's actually finally like bringing some sort of physics to it it's like yeah if there's something in the way you're gonna fucking hit it that's why they have to map hyperspace yeah it was an interesting way of taking down that fleet and snoke ship otherwise there was no other way was there no and the rebellion would have never got off that planet like it had to be done it was the holder maneuver is a hail mary like Mm. i don't get why anybody could dislike that no. Look, we're going to move on to the Battle of Crate now. We have missed quite a bit of this film out just because there's some really important like bits to, that we've talked about. So to breeze over, we've we've missed off like Yoda coming back as a Force Ghost because we spoke about that earlier on. Phasma getting killed off, but I liked how Ryan Johnson gave Phasma a little bit more to do in this film in terms of seeing her in action. That was cool. Those ten seconds with the hole in the mask, she does more acting than most actors in the prequels. Yeah. <laughs> Well, she got more than Boba Fett did, put it that way. We haven't talked about Benicio Del Toro, but I don't think there's massive amounts to talk about with his character. I know it's an interesting story point, but I've not got problems with his character. It is what it is. So let's talk about Battle of Crate. Um, obviously, visually, again, I think it's stunning. I think the red sand and stuff and the walkers and all that kind of business is wicked. Um, you've got the Falcon doing the runs through the... The mountains which is very video gamey i felt like a bit like a, how a video game would play out which was cool and then yeah you've got the just the power of the first order being shown at this point so matt what did you think of uh, did you feel the same way with like the cinematography and stuff at this bit because you've talked about a lot with this film about the cinematography is that is the battle of crate one of those bits for you as well i i'm gonna put it down as this is my favorite location ever in Star Wars. I like it. I'm going like to put it. that down. Is that I love the whole concept of that under that white. It's red. It's just dark red. <laughs> like, just the connotation with that. Oh, my God. It's just so good. And it's the blood in the sand, literally. Yeah. It? And it's just to show the impact of what, at the end of the day, what does. That's what it, that's what it is at the end. Just blood on the floor, and it's—I think it's just a mental concept. But because that concept works so well with all the marketing for this film, I think it just sold it just off that location. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the poster was—the poster was like white and red and all that kind of business. Yeah. So that's what—that's literally what it was. Chris, talk to me about the Luke appearance and the Kylo and Luke showdown. The twist is so obvious now when you think about it. But when we were in the cinema, that was sold. Like, you see you see a close-up of Kylo Ren's foot, like, making a red skid and stuff like that. And then you see Luke's not making any. He's literally holding the lightsaber that we just saw get destroyed. Yeah, like, how, that was my he, He's about 20 years younger. He's had a haircut and dyed his hair a bit. Like, he's not as grey as he was. Like, like, it's so obvious now. But, like... When you were in the cinema, when that reveal happens, when he slices through him and you think you've just seen Luke Skywalker die, and then you turn around and he's completely unfazed, that 
shit slaps <laughs> <laughs> like like that scene is so good and also like he's using the blue lightsaber that we just saw get destroyed not his green one from the end of return of the jedi and then he, he's saying like if you strike me down in this moment i'll always be a memory that haunts you the same way that like his father was a memory that haunted him in the rise of skywalker and brought him back so like as he did he struck him down and that stayed with him in that moment when he's seeing hannah's while he's thinking about his mom he's thinking about luke and everything like that like this moment was so impactful for the future of kylo mm. like luke basically describes where the franchise was going in this final film yeah i think it's impactful because this is the thing that pushes him over the edge obviously it embarrasses him in front of hooks the rest of the first order and i think that's why in the rise of skywalker you've got to see where that character has come from the beginning of force awakens to the rise of skywalker and how much more cold calculated and mature he is because i think it's that that just absolutely turns him and that's what makes him pure evil for the first part of well three quarters of rise of skywalker I think as well, it's this exact moment which makes him reforge the helmet because he wants to become that dark monster that he was again before he got showed up, before he had to face what he was actually doing. Yeah, He wanted to give off that presence again. Like you said, he probably lost a lot of credibility with the First Order in this moment. So the fact that he reforged the helmet was to then create this Darth Vader persona again. Yeah. And then you've got the beautiful death of luke with twin sons which is very nice nicely tied we talked about it last episode with the twin sunsets and i've literally my note says the sun sets on luke skywalker and we all cry (laughs) (laughs) i know it's uh if that's not how it was written in the script they missed a trick the script literally just needed to say and the sun sets on luke skywalker yeah literally let's wrap this film up so the last few bits i want to talk about is the broom kid scene at the end so a lot of people didn't like this people thought it was kind of shoehorned in but i think it 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 relates back to how luke says he wasn't a legend the examples and stuff that he sets and i think that when you see them talking about the kids are playing, aren't they? And one is Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. and stuff. And it shows that he, he is, but it's the better part of him that is the legend, not the bit that he thinks. So that was a nice little nice little bit as well. So I'm going to wrap us up. I'm going to say, let's go through Star Wars, Star Wars, and give you final thoughts. So I'll start with Chris, Matt, and then I'll give my final thoughts. Star. Goddamn Wars. This is the <laughs> biggest star wars star wars star wars like this is one of my favorite star wars films hands down i'm glad that we don't hate this film as much as what other people did and i think that i appreciate this film more now that i've seen the rise of skywalker and a lot of people say that but i think it yeah 100 percent. so what do you think matt so when you first asked me on this podcast i was on the aspect of i am definitely going to slate this shit out of the last jedi but <laughs> Since actually in retrospect of actually watching it again, I've actually done a full 360. (laughs) And I think it primarily comes down to the few things where one, it's just the fucking cinematography, man. Just off number one, it is not shot like the prequels. It is shot so good. And then with 
everything that comes with it, with the messages that comes with it, the way that they develop characters, I do feel like some of them have been sidelined in character, like some of the characters, and I do wish that some of them had a bit more development than others did. But I'm going to go and say that this one is a Star Wars. I'm so glad that you've been converted. <laughs> yeah, and it, and the thing is, it shows, right? It shows people that didn't like this film, when you go back and watch it again and you think about it, like I said at the very first, you need to think about this film when you watch it. And Matt, the way you talk about it, you clearly did think about it heavily when you watched it and thought about things like the cinematography and stuff and what they meet what it means and stuff so and yeah for me star wars all over this is a film a star wars film that i can watch over and over again and to be fair this going into the rise of skywalker is kind of all you need i think from these new films being honest i think it's enough um for you to get what's going on without having to retrace your steps in the force awakens so that's my that's my thoughts on it so yeah when you put it like that yeah i agree with that like the force awakens like suffers from a few too many issues like compared to the last jedi Mm -hmm. i think uh, talking about it like this just makes me want to do an episode just about the last jedi because there's so much we haven't talked about like yeah. this film is so deep compared to all of the Star Wars films. Like we have not talked about Poe's arc at all. No, like no. Poe's arc is to me the biggest thing in this film. I think it's the main driving force behind the film. I think we move on to Rise of Skywalker now, and maybe we let Matt talk a lot more in this one because we've done an episode on the Rise of Skywalker as well. <laughs> if you haven't listened to it, it was our first episode. Go back and listen to it because we had what like just over an hour or an hour of talking about just the rise of skywalker that was our first impressions you can hear what we think about it now but i want matt to take a lead on a lot of the stuff in this yeah so the bits that i'm going to talk about probably just going to be developments on what i thought when we did the episode originally i've come a long way with bits that i thought about with the rise of skywalker and thought about it a lot more in terms of what it means for the story and for those that maybe have problems with it that that you should, probably shouldn't have as much of a problem with it. Yes, mm-hmm. this film has probably got a lot of flaws in it, but they also had such a massive responsibility of trying to tie way too much up and satisfy way too much fan service. And yep. the problem that they've done with that is that you're never going to be happy with everything when you you do that with such a divided fan base. So, yeah, Matt, you're going to take lead on this. I'm going to talk about two or three things to do with this film to talk about it as a whole i'll start you with the kylo that we see at the beginning of this film take it away mate so we start with moonwalking kylo to find the uh (laughs) the sith tracker on that planet so this is an interesting one that i kind of i was thinking before where i would absolutely have loved it if they finished last jedi with the palpatine scene and it just being yes, finished in a I different agree. thing where he cuts out with what abilities he learn and stuff like that. If they just had that one scene right at the end and just left it at that, I think that would have been so good. And then followed on with Rise of Skywalker differently than what they did. I thought that would have been so good. I hate how we find out about the return of Palpatine in the crawl and we heard the voice note in a clip in Fortnite. I think it was so badly handled the return of Palpatine. Like we clearly knew he was coming back, 
just make it more evident to everyone without having to go play Fortnite just because they wanted the fucking money from Fortnite or just like instead of having it in the crawl that like he's sent out a broadcast or something or like just tell us that Palpatine's back and then the first thing be somebody receiving that call or something like that. Can I quickly pitch you an ending to The Last Jedi and the beginning to The Rise of Skywalker, Matt? And this is what we go, do on this go. podcast. To see whether it is what you think. So let's take the beginning of Rise of Skywalker right up until we finish with Palpatine and then you see um, them on the Falcon, right? Let's say The Last Jedi ended with Kylo going to Mustafar, which, yes, that is Mustafar, by the way. Um, really? That's the same planet, it's just a different part of it. So yeah, Vader's castle is somewhere there, which is cool. Um, let's say that that moment where he goes to Mustafar, gets the holocron, the Wayfinder, and then goes and finds Palpatine, that could be a perfect parallel to how The Force Awakens ended, where Rey finds Luke. Have that, and then start the Rise of Skywalker with the falcon getting the message about a spy and then doing the light speed skipping is that your more ideal start to the rise of skywalker and end of last jedi yes that's all in <laughs> see that's it that's that's yep. it isn't it it makes it such a better film already and it makes it make more sense and gives you time for people to simmer on the fat Palpatine's back as well. So yeah. yeah. And it and- ties Palpatine more into the whole trilogy as a whole. And at that point you would understand that he was the one that made Snoke the way he was, which would have tied up a lot of people's issues with the last Jedi. Just I mean, that the- last 10 minutes of the last Jedi could have fixed what people were complaining about. Yeah. Plus who doesn't want to start the film with the Falcon light speed skipping. Cause that's sick. I yeah. think the biggest issue with rise of Skywalker was the first 40 minutes of this was so rushed. If you take out 10 minutes at the beginning, you've got more time for shit. Yeah, you've got the ray training scene, which is cool, yeah. isn't it? Where she does um, the blatant flip thing with the green screen, where he does like, the kind of like <laughs> flip over and she lands nicely on the floor. You can see yeah. the wires on her. <laughs> yeah, like, where are they? Where are they? Looking in deeply. Um, they've got that. Mm. And then they go to the fancy festival planet um, where they... Um, bump into uh, Lando Calrissian. What did you think about what they did with Leia in this film? What did you think of that? Uh, I think it's always going to be a tricky one, isn't it? Because, I mean, they couldn't change the circumstance of what it landed itself in. Yeah. But at the same time, I felt like Leia was very sidelined in episode eight. I felt mm-hmm. then at the same time, as Chris previously mentioned, it's not the trilogy now, it's someone else's trilogy. It started all over again. It's not exactly like it revolves around Leia, Luke, and Han anymore. Uh, well, definitely not Han anymore. Um, there's, there's only so much you can do, really. And I think it was quite gracious the way they led it. I, I think it's amazing what they did. It just felt a little bit of a shame that it felt so shoehorned into the movie. Yeah. That's my only thing with it. But I think they did a very good job of what they did. And I'm glad that we got more of it. It was just a shame it felt shoehorned when I watched it. I think the scenes that we had with the... Because they said she had filmed stuff before she had passed away and stuff. I think they were the scenes that were potentially like the death scene or like um, the scenes that more worked with it. I think... The bits that you notice that they had to cut around her from other films 
were the first bit with Ray's training because she'll literally just like say something cryptic and then Ray will talk for the rest of the conversation. Like Ray's basically talking from both of their perspectives and stuff. And then like the next bit when um, Poe comes back and stuff like that and they're talking about Palpatine being back and all that sort of stuff. Like Mm. I think they're the most jarring bits because like she's literally just like giving like little yoda quotes here and there and everybody else is filling in the rest of the conversation for her i think that's the most jarring bits i I thought it was a shame that they masked kylo again as well i think personally i like you know it's one of them i'm on the fence so i understand why they masked him again because he wanted to be that dark and if you know and he wanted to be what he was he wanted to go back to that comfort that he had with the mask but i feel like the moments where him and ray had that conversation I would have liked to have had Adam Driver there, considering how good he is in this yeah. film. I would have liked I think to... Yeah. We had a conversation before this film came out, and I said to you, I don't want him to get the, the mask back. And part of his arc in The Last Jedi was kill the past. Like He stopped trying to be Vader and tried to be himself. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he put the helmet back on, which was his representation of him trying to be Vader, didn't really work for the character. But you gave me the pitch sam before the film came out is like yeah but what if he takes the helmet off and he's all fucked up like fucking um anakin in episode three with like the red yellowy eyes and everything and he's getting corrupted by the dark side that is the only reason they should have put the helmet back on was to get a reveal like that but they didn't that would have been cool that was just me me wishing though uh matt i'm gonna say i'm gonna remind you of a couple of jokes that happened in the rise of skywalker and you can just tell me whether they landed or not for you Okay, go. So the torch joke in the uh, in the cave where Ray lights a lightsaber Disney. and Poe lights his torch. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, it's a very Josh Whedon one, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very Disney joke, is what I thought. It's like okay, uh, like, and again, that's like a Disney Channel joke. <laughs> yeah, true. When they meet Lando and he tells the driver to go, and it's just an alien that turns around and goes okay, and then turns back round. What did you think of that? I think I did actually laugh out loud from how fucking random it was and how very, like, <laughs> it's a trap type thing it was. Um, <laughs> that didn't really feel like a joke to me. That just felt like it was like, yeah, okay. It's just a bit it's another practical effect alien that looked weird. Babu Frick in total. I thought he was quite funny, but what did I you like think? I like Babu Frick. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I can live with that. I thought C-3PO's very emo, sarcastic joke when, the, when they've gone through the sinkhole made me laugh. Where he was like, mm-hmm. oh, you didn't share my name, but I'm okay if you're wondering. <laughs> well, we established this last time. C-3PO is the sassiest motherfucker in this entire fucking franchise. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he literally is. And he has a moment where he's Un- like, oh, I think I thought of another route. And then he gets switched off and it's like, yep, okay, he's shut up. And I wrote in my notes, I was like, there's finally a bit of redemption for C-3PO. We know like he acts like a dick to anyone. I thought C-3PO finally being less of a dick because he has that moment where he's like, oh, I'm taking one last look at my friends. And, like, that was the audience having one last look at this Star Wars, like, the Skywalker saga and everything like that. Like, that's a big moment. Yeah. And then fucking the bad part of that scene is fucking the J.J. Abrams fucking Dino fucking robot telling us how we should feel in every scene. Because he only has one line of dialogue whenever he talks. He's like, oh, scared. This time he was like, he's like, oh, I'm taking one last look at my friends. And it just cuts to the robot going, sad. (laughs) Fucking thank you, robot. Yes, because I didn't realize I should feel sad right now. What was your reaction like, Matt, where Kylo and Rey were having that kind of force-off with the uh, transport that Chewbacca was on, quote, I 
you know, doing quote fingers. I was more distracted um, by the fact that I thought they killed Chewbacca. Like, yeah, I was absolutely <laughs> really unceremoniously. Yeah, I think that kind of gave away that he wasn't dead. I think yeah. it was just so obvious that he wasn't dead. The fact of that he was just so un, un, really ungracious. The complete opposite to the layer side of it, where they just blew the fucker up, and actually wasn't so good. But that lightning yeah. bit was sick. It literally yeah. caught everybody off guard in the cinema that nobody saw that coming when it happened. And the fact that then there was the, hang on, you had this really cool moment where they were force grabbing a spaceship and it's like, that's cool anyway. Force unleashed. Yeah, very, very video gamey again. But then you get the lightning and just after you've processed the fact Ray's just shot lightning out of a hand, you're then like, hang on, they've just killed Chewbacca. Even my girlfriend was sat next to me and she was just like, oh my God god and i was like <laughs> what it was just like so bad yeah. i was literally just like my jaw was on like the floor during that scene because we just had the sick like thai whisperer fucking speeding in and jay ray flipping over it as well yeah like yeah. You have a there lot was like really cool moments. cool moments in this scene like and like the, my jaw was just like oh yeah. <laughs> like, couldn't believe it it was a film that you had to watch twice at least when it came out because it was just that much going on and it moves that quick. And yeah. to be fair, I think once you've kind of had time to digest it, you like this film a lot more. And I think that's mm-hmm. why people should probably be a little bit more forgiving of it. It's I'm skipping over the it. bit where there's force healing because it's in video games. If you don't think that she should be healing snakes, then go play some video <laughs> games instead because uh, it's in there. It's a thing. If you've got a problem with force healing, you should have a problem with force speed at the beginning of Phantom Menace where they just... <laughs> and it, you never they see use it, it once and again. never again. Never again. What did you think of Hooks being the spy, Matt? I thought Hooks was such a wasted character. I was... Mm. I am in this film. Fuck me. They won AEM from The Force Awakens, don't they? Yeah, I think the character development just flops flat on its fucking ass in this with the hooks. I mean, they have this primitive world. I think the relationship between Kylo and hooks is very much like this. You have this big brother and you have this little brother and the bigger brother gets all all the attention and stuff like that. Whereas hooks being the little brother wants that attention, wants that glory, but yet he never seems to achieve that with him being in Kylo Ren's shadow. And I think that was a nice feeling to that. I feel mm-hmm. like the way they dealt with Hux in this just to kind of get rid of him was just very rush. Just get rid of the Richard E. Grant character and give that arc to Hux. Just yeah. have the mole be unnamed. It was just a fucking stormtrooper or something that's defected again. I just didn't see the mm-hmm. point. I didn't see you the don't point need to explore Grant. who the mole is. Big epic speech in The Force Awakens to... He gets, like, one line of dialogue and then he gets shot. Like you said, instead of Richard E. Grant, you should have had Hooks get to the point where he was, like, how he was in The Last Jedi, how he was going to kill Kylo while he was down. He was going to shoot him with a blaster in the throne room. Yeah. Um, have that thing where he kind of goes behind Kylo to 
go deal directly with Palpatine and let him just be a mix of the Hux and Richard E. Grant. I mean, he was there for a bit of comic relief and stuff, and it was a, it was you didn't see it coming, but it was, you know, it was it was interesting. Let's move on. Another quick little bit. I mean, we've talked about Ray being a Palpatine. I'm not going to talk about that now because we talked about it earlier on. So that's a big chunk of this film, to be fair, but. A little thing you might want to know is in the poster for this film, there was leaked images of 3PO using Chewbacca's bowcaster with all the equipment on, mm-hmm. where it looked like he was going to go murdering C-3PO, horror film C-3PO. <laughs> that is actually, take that it must be from a deleted scene because when Vin gives him all of Chewbacca's gear to carry it, so I'm assuming there is a bit in there where the falcon is escaping that star destroyer it must have been filmed where 3po uses the bowcaster against stormtroopers or something i don't know if he would use it maybe it's just a callback to empire strikes back when chewie is carrying around c3po's parts all the time maybe it's just a callback to that like he's then having to carry around all the chewbacca's stuff yeah. But also on the poster, you had that fucking weird yellow slug alien that's only in the fucking first scene. That was probably in there more than... Who's fixing <laughs> stuff even though he has no hands. He's fixing the Millennium Falcon with no hands. That's Star Wars for you. Yeah, Why so... was he on the poster? Fucking hell. Yeah. Let's skip right to the Kylo and Rey battle on the Death Star ruins. Matt, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the fight was pretty cool on this. I think I preferred actual this fight to the end fight. This one felt heavy. She's just sailed across a rocky sea all by herself on like a little skimmer. She's just had that vision. Also, I I put in my notes, would you guys rather it have been a vision or maybe a clone? Because there were concepts of a, a Ray clone, mm. a dark side Ray. Maybe if that would have been a cool thing, if they brought in like a dark side Ray clone and then that's who she could have fought at the end. Because Palpatine doesn't really have a fight until the Force Lightning, does he? True, true. Also, why hasn't Ray got the two-sided lightsaber? I've said this all along. She's so much better with it. She gets it at the fucking end when it's too fucking late. <laughs> um, I think that, yeah, I think maybe she shouldn't have seen Dark Ray until she got to the Sith throne. When she got to the Sith throne, there should have been Dark Ray either Sat on the throne. S- sitting on it. And then she should have had that moment. And then Palpatine comes out saying, I couldn't, if you you were a failure of a granddaughter and blah, 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 but little do you know that, you know what I mean? And, and uh, you know, write it better than that. But yeah. maybe that would have been a cool alternative to it. So There is concept for that. I don't know if it was going to be another vision or whether it was a clone, but there was a dark version of Rey sat on the throne. Yeah, Dark Rey would have been a wicked have a fight herself just like how you know she was fighting a light and dark side and how anakin was and stuff but have it literally and then maybe have ben come along at the end and help her and then he they take down palpatine together and stuff so do you think maybe ray had a hand in killing leia in that moment as well because leia dies as ray essentially kills kylo ren yeah, I don't know. I think maybe she just uses her force energy to communicate with him a bit like what Well, Luke yeah, she did. distracts him, but then Ray kills him. And I don't know if, like, in that moment he was dying. I don't know if that maybe Leia sensed that he was dying and she had lost everyone then. 
Mm, maybe. I don't know if that had a hand in maybe speeding up, like because she she lay down and everything. She knew that this was going to be like her final act type thing. Mm. But I don't know if like Ray jolted it or something. What I also liked about that um, Death Star fight is that it was kind of about Kylo showing that Ray that he can do everything Ray can do, but better. There's the bit where they jump over and he jumps further than her. And then there's the bit where they force hold the lightsabers as they're swinging and they hold them in place. They block them using that and he blocks it for longer. The first half of this fight, he's not on the offensive. She is. She's just seen the dark side of her and she is leaning into the dark side, being the aggressor in that fight. He's doing what Luke was doing. He was dodging. He didn't even have his lightsaber lit until he left like the throne room. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what I didn't like about this was the music and the lack of music and also just the music choices that they had. There was that little bit of music where it's when he blocks the lightsaber and there were stabs. I didn't really like that to me. It didn't feel very Star Wars. It didn't feel very John Williams, Mm. that whole bit. I don't know, kind of killed it a little bit, that bit for me, but here we are. Let's move straight on to Kylo with Han. What did you think of Han and the Kylo bit where Kylo actually redeems in that bit? I think it was a nice payoff. I honestly, I think the mirroring just worked perfectly. I think it had all the feels to it. And I think... I think it just worked nicely. I think it was a nice wrap-up with where they were taking Kylo slash Ben Solo. And Mm -hmm. I think it just worked well. I think it had that gravity to it. And I don't know what they had originally planned or whether that was the plan, but I think that would have been, out of whatever scenario they had, I think that would have worked the best. It was really nice having the parallels. Obviously, they started using the same dialogue that they had on Starkiller Base. They literally did the same actions, had the same dialogue, like, I know what I've got to do, but I don't know if I can do it. But this time, it's the light side taking over. They were surrounded by blue, open skies and everything like that. There wasn't as much darkness. He's essentially just been on the brink of death, and that's what it took for him to come back. Um, And like uh, Luke said, like the memory of Han and everyone's going to stay with him. Mm. I I think that was good for the redemption if it didn't have that moment with Han I don't think I would have been as sold on the redemption my idea that I had and what I would have liked in this scene would have been um, I liked how Han appeared at first I have a feeling that what would have been good fan service I suppose uh, just to recognise it would have been having Han have that moment with him. But before it gets to... I love the poetry of the, I know what I need to do, but I don't know whether I have the strength to do it. But I have a feeling that it would have been cool if Han had said something. Like, let's say Kylo said that, and then maybe Han said, there's someone you need to talk to. And then Anakin Force Ghost appears. I would have just, I would have just loved a moment where you could have Anakin speak to Kylo and explain that I wasn't who you thought I was and that yeah. be the thing that pushed Kylo into redeeming. I know it would have been probably too much on top of everything else that we got and I liked what we got. I would have loved that moment where maybe he said there's someone else needs to talk to. It was a Vader, what your masks and it's actually Anakin, Hayden Christensen underneath the helmet or something. And it just it just has that moment where he realizes that he has had it all wrong. My version of that would be, I don't think that's the right time to have Anakin in it. I think maybe like have him interact with Anakin at some point, but differently. Um, yeah. 
maybe on Mustafar or something like that. I reckon if you were going to do something like that, you would have it layer. She's passed on in that moment and she's used the last of the life, the last of the force left in her to communicate with Ben instead of just like distracting him long enough for Ray to win the fight. Then have so you've got Han who's literally just like a memory to him. I think that's why Han doesn't really do anything other than recycle the Force Awakens because he's not a Force ghost. He's not creating anything new. He's a memory for him at that point. Mm. So he's literally memorizing his last moments with his dad. Then have Force Ghost Leia then maybe. Maybe, yeah. So I like how we have that throwback to Luke and Leia in training. I think the whole Luke Force Ghost thing is pretty cool, how he lifts the X-Wing out. It's a beautiful comparison to how he couldn't do it in The Empire Strikes Back. I couldn't believe he could do it. Let's skip right forward to the Ben Solo redemption point because then we can start to finish this up. What did you think of Ben Solo coming back doing... I need a hero moment. <laughs> That's <laughs> the literally end of the, the thing I was thinking of when uh, when you think of that moment, you can just imagine that in the background. Like, I can't get rid of that now. The sa- <laughs> yeah. It's the same with uh, my stick is better than bacon. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I think this was so good. I think the parallels in like the characterization, the way that he moved, I think was very much resemblance of what and Solo was liking cocky and arrogance, like when he just shrugs his shoulders. I thought that that was good. Mm. I think that full circle was pretty cool. The music's really good in this bit because it kind of bounces between a positive version of Kylo's theme and it also bounces between Ray's theme as well. It literally uses those two themes, but rather than being dead sinister as Kylo's theme, it's a better. It's like a more happier lighter version of it which is cool a quick little mention because there's a lot of talking and stuff that goes on in this it's just a little fact drop that uh, when palpatine mentions a dyad in the force unseen for generations if he is literally speaking unseen for generations what it could be relating back to because it is canon is that in the old republic games the only other dyad we've seen in the force before is Darth Revan and Bastila Shan, who is from the video games. Um, so that could be a nice little nod to that, a little bit of Star Wars knowledge, if you... Chris also, will know what, yeah. Also, she has the same near enough identical lightsaber that Rey ends up with at the end. Very similar. Um, uh, is that a double-bladed lightsaber? It's just a yeah. single... Which one that Rey has? Yeah, at the end. At the end. No, if you you actually see it on a thing, it's got an emitter at both ends. Very cool. But Very you cool. only ever see one side get lit, which pisses me off more. <laughs> like, if you see it, it's got an emitter on both ends. It's a staff, isn't it? It pretty much yeah, looks it's, like Yeah, it's the top of the staff. Oh, that's pretty cool. Palpatine's lightning in the sky is pretty cool. The sound design at that bit's pretty mint as well. Yeah, uh, the way it cuts out for a second and fucking sonic booms. It's a big sub drop. Yeah. Uh, the be with me moment with all the other uh, voices and stuff in the background. Matt, what did you think of that? Did you pick up on who those voices were in the background as well? Yeah, I think it was like a, a montage of all different Jedi in reference to the previous films. So you got your Urian, you got your you got your Yoda, you got your Sam Jackson. I think it was just a good good basket of uh, previous Jedi. I think. Should we have seen Force Ghosts of the most important Jedi? All the stuff happening in space as well. And you've got all the ships like jump out of hyperspace. 
and like that's their end game Avengers Assemble moment. Yeah. Like yep. that in the cinema made me well up. Like that was like such an impactful moment. You get the return of Wedge Antilles as well. Is this the first time we've heard the main Star Wars score in the actual film not being used for the credits or the crawl? I think it is. Uh... You hear the main Star Wars theme as soon as they it, all come in. Did it not get used for episode six? Or am I making that up? I don't know. We'll chat about that afterwards because I'll have to. It needs I'll a fact to... check, but I yeah. think it was like that stands out to me in my memory. It's wicked. Which um, was more impactful for me. And then after all that, you've got all the ships landing at the end, big celebration, a bit like Return of the Jedi, where it goes between all the planets. Also, a little Easter egg, you've got the ship from the Mandalorian in there, landing right at the end as well. It's probably just an Easter egg, because they just had, um, in the making of this shot where they had all the ships, they just had loads of models of star wars ships that they just used in this so yeah they were like uh, you... like they had the ghost and the phantom and stuff like that from rebels and literally any ship that's been in star wars canon that a rebels flown was in that shot yeah they were like if you see a ship that's in there it's just because it's in there <laughs> that was what the designers said so and chewie got a medal which is nice nice little thought. that was this like final scene when they line back at the base I just like it hits me right in the feels like you said you get Chewie finally gets the medal which is Han's medal as well so like Han passed it on to Leia when he passed away and then it gets passed to Chewie like he finally gets a thanks from like essentially all his previous friends he's the only one left him and Lando feels like feels literally feels 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 in this moment (laughs) okay you see everybody finally celebrating it's so good so now we're going to do Star Wars and Star Wars and then you say, what did you think about Ray and Kylo's ending? And what did you think of the very last bit with Ray Skywalker and burying the lightsabers? So you need to touch on those two things. So I'll go with Matt first. Right. So with whether it's a Star Wars or Star Wars, I've given this some thought in terms of that. Yeah, there are some good aspects of this, but there is a lot of stuff that cannot be forgiven with how it rushes through stuff and how it just doesn't flow the way it should do. It wastes a lot of time mm-hmm. with with factors that should have been brought in in the previous instalment, whether just, it's just very much like a, a moment of making up for lost time with it and there just wasn't a natural direction for, throughout the trilogy where things should have been set in places in timeline. So I'm going to mm-hmm. go with Star Wars on this one. That's fair. Fair enough. So in regards to the uh, take my breath away Top Gun moment between Ray and Ben, <laughs> I'm, uh, I don't know. I felt like it was a bit pointless. I think that's just me. I feel like there's no yeah. point putting it there for if there was just no real... It wasn't needing to go anywhere. There wasn't any... It wasn't like it needed to be done. I think that's where I mainly sit on it. And I I like the end. I, I think the whole concept of that, the bearing the lightsabers is pretty much putting an end to the Skywalker saga. It's putting an end to a definitive end because that lightsaber is not going to be passed on to someone else. It's, it's there. It's done. It's buried, as Kylo likes to say. Kill the past. Kill the past. <laughs> buried. So I think it was a, a fitting end. I think what left me a bit left me with a bit of taste when I watched this originally was the fact of how rushed it was. Uh, what did you think, Chris? Right, my thing with the Ray and Kylo bit at the end 
So I had a different outlook on it this time. Like, I'm still not a fan of the kiss. I didn't see those guys romantically involved at any point throughout this trilogy. I don't think you need romance between them. People have said to me that it's not a romantic kiss, but they kiss for way too long for it not to be romantic. Also, if you think about Palpatine making Anakin and all that sort of stuff, they're kind of like second cousins, which makes it even worse. It's like Game of Thrones shit at that point. So I'm not a fan of the kiss. I am a fan of him being able to bring her back from the Force, though. So the trilogy is all about bringing balance to the Force. And in that moment, Ben returns to the light. And in that moment, we see the death of the Sith and we see the death of the Jedi. And Rey, after that point, becomes the grey. She becomes the balance in the middle. And I think that's why she's got a golden, like, orange lightsaber at the end. Because she's not like blue she's not red she's in the middle so i think that needed to happen a to bring his arc full and b to like bring balance to the force finally the fact that we don't have ray as a jedi at the end of it i see her more as in the middle means that it's still imbalanced because she's right down the middle she's not on one side because if she was a jedi then it's not imbalanced because you don't have the opposing force so i like that and also 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 that i didn't realize this time at the beginning of the film, Palpatine says, like, you can achieve what Anakin could not. Anakin, his entire thing in Revenge of the Sith was achieving being able to save people from death. And what did he do at the end? He achieved what Anakin could not and brought someone back from the dead. He saved the person that he needed to save. And I Be did sure. not notice it Be until sure. I watched it this time. And fuck me, that that I was like, shook. Because Be I sure. picked up on Be that sure. line at the beginning of Rise of Skywalker this time, and then when he brought her back from the dead, I was like, oh my god. That's what that's all Anakin wanted, was to be able to save people from death, his mother and Padme, the people that he cared about. I was like, oh my god, he finally did what his grandfather could not, which means he surpassed Anakin, which means his character arc was full and he could die in peace. Thank you! Um, as opposed to, yeah. like, and then the bit at the end, I'm fine with the berry and the lightsabers, totally fine. The Ray Skywalker makes sense in context of it's the family that you choose, it's the family that takes you in and nurtures you, and if she was potentially created the same way Anakin was, she has equal claim to the like the Skywalker name and everything like that. So that's fine, whatever. And I like the dual sunsets fade at the end. Also, Jedi funerals, when they bury a Jedi, they have an orange beacon of light comes out of their gravestones which stay there forever, so as she buried the lightsabers, she ignited that and it was almost like a Jedi funeral, which I thought was pretty cool. Oh, that's a cool parallel. You've seen my journey with Rise of Skywalker on this podcast. When we first saw the film, episode one, I loved it. I thought it was a great film. And then we discovered what Jewel of the Fates could have been, and I've been really pissed off with this film ever since. And I I think I said to Sam before I watched this, I don't know if I can be asked watching this because I was on such a downer thinking about what the Jewel of the Fates could have been, and it really bothered me. And it's been like chipping away at how much i liked this film and then i watched it again today and i was like it's not jewel of the fates but it's still a damn good film it had such a tricky job the first 40 minutes are shaky but the way it lands it i think is fine so i'm gonna give it a star wars at the end okay i agree star wars um i agree with everything kind of that you've both said to be fair i'm kind of down the middle a little bit so i agree with everything chris well, I'm grey. Star grey. Grey Wars. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um 
Yeah, I'm a little bit down the middle. So I think it's because I would have loved to have seen a result where Ben didn't die and didn't Mm -hmm. have to die. I would have loved to have seen that. So I do give it a Star Wars because I think when I've watched them 7, 8, 9 all in a row again and I've had time to think about it, I didn't like Rise of Skywalker as much and I think I liked it a bit more now. And I think I felt a little bit more complete by it. So that's why it gets a Star Wars. I think in terms of Ray and Ben, that whole bit, um, I didn't like the kiss. And I didn't like how he just flopped and died right after it. And it kind of, in the cinema, it felt like a healing match. Like, Ray will save you. You'll save Ray. You'll die. But Ray won't be able to save you because you're dead for good kind of thing. <laughs> and... To me, it just felt like too much going on. The ending with the Ray Skywalker, I get it. It feels a little bit shoehorned in. I'm on that side of the fans with it. How I would have kind of liked to have seen this, what would have been like a nice ending for me personally, was Ben didn't have to die to save her. Yes, it's because he transferred all his life and force energy to her, but he didn't have to die. He didn't have to in that moment. He was fine. It would have been a beautiful ending to have seen him and Ray have that moment together and both return. It would have been a really nice... I know that people would have had problems with that because it would have been like, how can Kylo go from... Well, Ben go from being Kylo Ren and murdering all these people and being such a horrible person and be welcomed back at the end? But to see him as Ben Solo and to see him stood with Ray at the end and to know that those two did it and saved everyone, I reckon they may have looked past it. They, they would have had a moment when they would have returned at the end on both of them. It would have been awesome to have seen them both get out of that X-Wing or for Ray to get out and then for Ben to get out afterwards. But don't have talking, just have the music like they did. And then have the moment where they both go to Tatooine at the end, they both pay homage to the lightsabers, setting them away, putting an end to it, like what he spoke about when they were both talking in The Last Jedi, about saying that, forget the Jedi, forget the Sith, forget all of it, and then rather, and don't have that random woman at the end, just have those two, have Force Ghost Luke and Leia, and then that's it. Twin Sunsets, end of the film. Now, the way you just described that made me think of an awesome last shot, if you want to talk about that, which I think would have nailed what you just said then. If they both went to drop off the lightsabers, but you didn't realise that like Ben had gone with her maybe, and like Ray buries the lightsabers, and you don't have that woman, as she starts to walk back, she meets with Ben as the two sunsets are set in. You've got both of them in silhouette. And then you get the Force Ghost Luke and Leia watching him. It would have been nice. It would have been a nice alternative ending. I but, yeah. do think that for him to bring her back from being dead, he should have died, though. Let us know what you think in the comments. Let, leave a comment. Balance. Let us know. Let us know. Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook uh. and all that. So, yeah, cool. Right, Matt, last question for you before Go. we wrap this up. Rank your top three Star Wars films out of all the Star Wars films. Just any trilogy, any spin-off film, rank your top <laughs> you don't, three. Don't need to be in order, but what's your perfect trilogy? Oh, my God. Okay. So, um, ooh, ooh, that's a crazy one. They don't need to be in order, so it should make it a little okay, bit easier. You don't have to rank so, them. So, yeah. 
I'm just going to lob these in. So, Revenge of the Sith. Because, mm-hmm. what a film. I'm going to go... I'm going to say Empire Strikes Back. Very cool. Better than Matty's choice. Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't see Matt Lund's reaction to our last episode on Instagram, it was pretty damn funny. <laughs> Calling out his fellow podcast member. It was uh, before I trimmed my beard and I just looked like a very angry homeless man. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Empire. Do you know what? I'm going to go for New Hope. Purely because... Nice. Of the fact of the way... If we want to do it in order, you go Sith, Hope, Empire, and do it that way. Now... It's a pretty good trilogy, that. Yeah. It makes I'll, sense as well. I'm you gonna, could just watch those three films and it makes sense. Yeah, it completes the Star Wars. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with them just down to the fact of... With A New Hope, I felt like because it's got that nostalgic weight to it, I feel that you can't beat some of the iconic moments where it introduces those, those characters that have built the franchise it is today. I feel like the turn of Anakin Skywalker in episode three is well worth the payoff, even though you've got episode one and two and political discussions on it, even though they probably make more sense than actual politics in the UK at the minute anyway. Um, <laughs> and then Empire Strikes Back because of the just the darkness in it as well. I think that's what I enjoy about that. I've got one last question for you then, Matt. Go. Oh. Which out of the trilogies is the best complete trilogy? OG. Original trilogy. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a shame Matty beat you to that one because his taste in the original trilogy is quite questionable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that pretty much wraps us up for this three-part Star Wars-a-thon that we've had for, for May. Matt, obviously you have a podcast with the other two Matts. Do you want to tell us where we can find that podcast? Yes, so an earful podcast where we talk all about music and horror films and with creatives where we prefer conversation over an interview. You can find us on our socials at an earful podcast. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. You can now see some of our quarantine lockdown content where we're video chatting with some of the guests. And you can check us all out on all of popular podcasting platforms or the majority of them even. Uh, so that's Spotify, that's Acast, that's Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Cool. Excellent. Um, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you for it's having been us, great fellas. having you guys all on. And where can people find you, Matt? Well, if you want to follow me, uh, you can find me at MagicalLun on Instagram and Twitter. Awesome. And yeah, to echo Chris, thank you very much for coming on and giving us a good decent amount of time to talk about nerdy Star Wars films and letting us absolute nerd out for you. So That's cool. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Cheers, fellas. No problem at all. And you can check out Get Real on all your socials at Get Real Pod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And you can also hit us up on email if you want to send us emails it's getrealpoduk at gmail.com chris where can people check out the podcast you can find us anywhere you get your podcast apple podcast don't forget to leave us a rate and a review you can find us on spotify iHeartRadio, anywhere including youtube follow us and subscribe to us on youtube get real podcast uh, where we upload all the videos in full 
And if you've listened to all three of these crazy long episodes, and yes, they've been crazy long, thank you very, very, very much. And be sure to leave us a like, rating, review on anywhere you listen to podcasts as well to help support us as well. The support that we're getting on the podcast at the moment is great. Just want to say thank you to everybody that's listening at the moment. Yes, absolutely. Uh, We're going to put a little video out, but we've had the most successful month of Get Real that we've ever had. So yeah, thank you very, very much to all those listeners that have stayed with us and also new listeners as well. Well done, guys. Oh, thank you, Matt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, and that's us for another week. Uh, Yeah, and we will catch you next time. The name's Ray. Ray Star Wars. (laughs) 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 (